Hey everybody, Matt, Jess and Dave here. Sorry Jess, just butting in quickly to let the listeners know that I'm going to be in Sydney uh, this week coming up the 8th to the 12th of May and uh, you can get tickets now via mattsfieldcomedy.com then going straight to Brisbane on the 16th to the 19th. So tickets for my show Dry Dryer. In Sydney and Melbourne. Sorry, Matt, I'll just cut you off there. I just need to tell everyone that our quiz show, our web series is out right now. Do go on the quiz show. You can see it on Stupid Old Channel for free on YouTube. Type in, do go on the quiz show, and you can see three episodes right now covering topics like Google, Queen Victoria, the Olympics, and we've got five more episodes coming up. So like and subscribe, whatever that means. They are big topics too. And I said Sydney and Melbourne. I meant Sydney and Brisbane. Anyway, let's get on with the show. I'm still here too. (laughs) Oh, hey, Jess. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to another episode of Do Go On. My name is Dave Warnicky and as always I'm here with Jess Perkins and Matt Stewart. Toot toot! Hey, Jess. All aboard. All aboard, yeah. How good is it to be alive? Love to be here in the pod studio, here at the stupid old studios. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Love you saying that as you put the hood over your head. <laughs> yeah, it's a little chilly here. It's a little bit chilly, but- uh, in the what, Winter starts today, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. Hap- happy, at the time of recording. At the time of recording, happy, happy winter. winter. Happy winter to you too. It's so nice to be here in the stupid old studios, I've got to tell you that. A lovely spot. A lovely spot. This is the third Stupid Old Studios we've recorded in. And it gets bigger and better every single time. Yeah. But that doesn't change the fact that I wish I was never born. (laughs) (laughs) I was wondering how you're going to get it in there. It was a little too positive. Appreciate you bringing us back down to earth. And while we're here, Jess, should you take the time to tell the good people at home how this show actually works? I should and I will. Well- Um, if this is your first time joining us, hello. Um, <laughs> one of the three of us goes away, researches a topic, usually suggested to us by our wonderful listeners. Um, they they find out all about it. They bring all that information back to the other two who listen politely, who never go on dog shit riffs, never. and who never find the funny in tragedy. Never. Uh, and we always get onto the topic with a question. Always. It is Matt's turn. <laughs> It is Matt's turn this week. Yes, it is. I was letting Dave jump in again as a hype man, but he just didn't. Um, turn this week. Sorry. Sometimes, sometimes I'm- <laughs> He's a bit delayed. Yeah. Matt, do you have a question for us? I do. It's a very um, self-referential question here. Love it. Matt Stewart. Hands on buzzers. Dave Warnicky, do go on. What was episode 22 of Do Go On about? <sighs> I reckon I'll have a stab at this. Okay. Is that Super Marat Niazov? It is not Super oh, Marat and, and, uh, and his 
hijinks <laughs> yeah. or whatever it's called. Yeah, I want to go back and listen to that episode. That was very funny. Good fun. And let me just say, welcome to Plane, but that's not the right one. Okay, Jess, would you like to have a, have a go? So, it's your episode, Matt, to be clear. It was uh, your topic at the time? No, it was one of Dave's topics. Oh, okay. Were you trying to do some some maths there to figure out? No, I just thought 22, That I reckon Niazov's around that time. Mm. So Okay. Okay, Jess, over to you. I have no idea. I don't remember last one. One of our most famous ones. Okay. Plane is involved. A plane is involved. A plane. It's maybe my favourite ever episode. <laughs> Dave did a report on it. Okay. A mysterious man jumped from his plane. <gasps> D.B. Cooper. It is D.B. Cooper. Oh, that's yeah. right. Was that episode 22? 22. God, Imagine- we peaked early. I was going to say peak so young. Because what's your favourite episode, Dave? Because um, mine's episode 10. Oh. <laughs> that's episode 20. Well, let me just- and we're, like, this is uh, when at 400 next week. Look, I said maybe my favourite. It's up there. It's a- oh, I've it's got up favourites there. the whole way through. But can I say my favourite episode personally is episode 399. Mm. Oh, you kiss us. <laughs> Great There's choice. no point. No, just putting the pressure on Matt to make this yeah, a really good one. Yeah, it's really good. I think it's a, I think it's a very interesting story. Uh, how much do you remember of, of the DB Cooper story? A bit, actually. Yeah, yes, one of the ones that's really, I think, stuck in my mind yeah. a lot because it was so outrageous. Yeah, great. Well, if any listeners haven't heard it or maybe haven't heard it recently, uh, I reckon go back and listen to it first because this story sort of comes off the back of it. Ooh. What happened to the man, De Bomb Cooper? Uh, <laughs> the dreamboat himself. <laughs> dreamboat Cooper. <laughs> What a great nickname. To Bradley Cooper. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't use that at the time. I don't think Bradley Cooper was around. He then. wasn't born yet. <laughs> it's my favourite. episode 22, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> my favourite seven-year-old, Bradley Cooper. <laughs> we didn't know what potential he no, had at right. that time. <laughs> Super briefly, though, D.B. Cooper is the mysterious man who hijacked a Northwest Airlines 727 to Seattle on the 24th of November 1971. He collected 200 grand ransom after threatening to blow up the plane before parachuting out into the sky, never to be seen again. Or was he? <gasps> oh my goodness. To Bradley well, Cooper. People, uh, <laughs> he's much older than you think. <laughs> so, this story I'm going to tell you happens about four and a half months later. Whoa. On the 7th of April 1972. United Airlines Flight 855, a Boeing 727, same as D.B. Cooper's, okay. was en route from Newark, New Jersey to Los Angeles, California. That's La La Land. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. Uh, via a stopover in Denver, Colorado, which I think is the home of Blucifer, that, mm. that wild uh, horse statue. Absolutely. Uh, 91 people were aboard, 85 passengers and a crew of six. At 5.18 p.m., approximately 20 minutes after taking off from Denver, the passenger in seat 20D was noticed holding a hand grenade. (laughs) How long had he been holding it for? Imagine pulling it out. He'd pulled it out in New York, in New Jersey, (laughs) taken off, they'd landed, no one had noticed, and he's like, come on. Come on. (laughs) They're going to notice any second. On the next leg, for sure. He's going through security, he's putting it in the, like, you know, they like, it's gear phones, laptops, aerosols, he's putting it in the little tub, it's going through, nothing. He's like, explosives, do I have to take them out of my bag? And they're like, yes, please, in the bucket, thank you so much. Yeah, next to your laptop. How many mils of explosives? So you got a belt ladder? on. Empty your pockets. Okay, <laughs> yeah. go through. Stay with your bags, please. And then he gets on the plane. He's like, "All right, I haven't noticed it. I'll call the steward over." <laughs> Terrible service. <laughs> then come over until twenty minutes it's in. It's amazing to think back to how little security there was yeah. on flights back then. You could just get on a plane. Uh, only one grenade. Okay. <laughs> Welcome. I guess. What are you going to do if that one explodes? Yeah, you got a backup grenade. You'll be all out, mate. <laughs> 
He was described as swarthy, mustachioed, between 20 and 25 years of age, wearing glasses, about 5 feet 10 inches tall, and weighing 160 to 170 pounds. I don't- I never understand that, where they go, I can guess, like, you're probably about this tall, but how are you guessing somebody's weight? Yeah, I had no idea about- I mean, I- Did they pick him up? I'd barely be able to guess that they were wearing glasses, you know, (laughs) let alone their weight. How, what were they wearing? You know, like, I, how do you remember? Yeah. I totally. Tell you, I tell you what I remember. The hand grenade. Yeah. I was focused on the hand and grenade. he was sitting down. Not- I'm not sure how tall he was. <laughs> Could be one of those things where, like, he looks kind of short sitting down, but he's got long legs and a short body. I don't know. It's sort of like when people, when you see kids, I can't tell how old kids are. Yeah. No idea. It's a toddler and I'm like, are you eight? I don't know. <laughs> I think there's three ages. Kids mm-hmm. around my age and really old, which yeah. I know is about the same as my age, but- Yeah. So, there's two. Yeah. <laughs> for <laughs> there's you. There's three for us. and really old. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how people can be precise with any of that sort of stuff. But- I also think most people are around my height. Yeah. Unless someone's really tall or really yeah. short. So, he was wearing a dark suit, uh, black leather gloves, and a wig. Although, I've had reports of him wearing much funkier clothes- like a, a really loud shirt and 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 loud coloured shoes and stuff. Right, he's wearing roller skates, <laughs> rolling up and down the aisle. He's got glow sticks all over him. <laughs> he's having a great time. He'd already been observed acting strangely after being one of the first aboard. He wasn't the first aboard. There was already a prisoner, and the prisoner's guard was, uh, I think, first on. The prisoner had escaped and was being escorted back to prison in California, but. That prisoner and others noticed that this guy- <laughs> Imagine being the escape prisoner and being like, look at that weirdo. That guy seems sus to yeah, me. I don't trust this guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's, that's oh, true. Oh, please don't sit Please don't sit next Like, legs and hands handcuffed together. Oh, please don't, please don't, please don't. <laughs> In that con here thing that Steve Buscemi yeah. is loaded- <laughs> Into the <laughs> <gullet> green. <laughs> oh no, this oh, freak! No. <laughs> Great, just my luck. Oh, and a baby as well. Yeah. Somehow. Oh, oh my god, perfect. Yeah, and they put the baby between the weird baby, <laughs> the weird baby between the weird man and the grim. Don't get me wrong, I love kids, but that's a weird baby. Yeah. <laughs> it's an eight-year-old. I can't tell how old kids yeah. are. Yeah, so they've been noticed acting a bit weird. At one point, an airport worker entered the plane after all the passengers had boarded, trying to locate the owner of an envelope that was left in the waiting room or, you know, in the, in the airport. It turned out it belonged to the man in seat 20D. Oh, my God. Get your shit together, mate. You freak. After claiming it, he locked himself in the toilet for quite a while, <laughs> like an unusually long amount of time. Who's paying attention to that? I know. Like, Unless you're waiting outside the toilet yes. really needing to piss. How long before you knock? I, I, for me, never. Oh, never. Yeah, yeah. I'd yeah. shit myself in the eye. It would have. It would be ages, and I'd only be knocking because I'm like, I think they're dead. Yeah, I- I'm concerned. Yeah. Well, he was half he- an hour. <laughs> People did notice him go in, and and he was in there so long that a crew member, maybe even one of the pilots, had to knock on the door and say, "Hey, we're trying to. We need to take off. <laughs> you got to bi- get out." The oh, they haven't taken off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh my the, god, the pilot. Please. Uh, can you just uh, vacate the uh, lavatory, sir? Uh, we need to get to Denver. We need to depart. They wouldn't say take off. They'd say depart. Yeah, absolutely. I reckon. Mm. We're expecting a heavy crosswind. Uh, we need to beat that. Uh. They were 
possibly worried that he was jacking it in there. He was in there so long. Only the it that doesn't he take was that jacking <laughs> was the plane. What? And they were right. <gasps> Hijacking it. Yes. Oh, no. That's what you call jacking it. <laughs> the mile so, high. Yeah. <laughs> mile high jacking it. <laughs> so, like, when they notice the grenade, they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Are you jacking us? <laughs> Are you jacking it? <laughs> the it being the plane. Bro. Whoa. Stop jacking it. Bro, are you jacking it right in front of us? Can you not jack us? it, please? <laughs> Come on. It's not called a jack. It. <laughs> the classic uh, Brady Bunch movie line where <laughs> Greg Brady's in the car and uh, someone comes up to him and goes, hey, this is a car jack. And he goes, hey, I know this is a car. But, but my, my name's, name's Greg. Like jack. <laughs> it's Greg. <laughs> That's good That's stuff. That's funny stuff. Well played, Greg. <laughs> Just like D.B. Cooper, the passenger was flying under a fake name. His was James Johnson. Okay. Jimmy J. Mm. Uh, I'm going to refer to him as Johnson anyway. An off-duty pilot known So, Johnson to- was jacking it, just to me. Johnson was jacking okay. it, yeah. Fantastic. Just got to confirm. Who was jacking it? Johnson. Johnson. Johnson was being jacked. Okay. Well, no, no. He was doing the jacking. Okay, great. No one was jacking Johnson. No. Certainly not Jack Johnson. No. Okay. <laughs> An off-duty pilot known to be on board as a passenger was asked to discreetly suss out the situation while the crew discussed what they should do. So, someone's noticed the the hand grenade. Stewardesses have found this out. Mm -hmm. They're talking about what to do. They know there's an off-duty pilot on there, so they go, hey, can you go just suss this Just quietly suss it out. Just quietly just figure out what's going on. Is this hand grenade going to be a problem? (laughs) (laughs) So, so what does he walk down and then be like- Sorry, can I just look out the window? I want to see the view. Yeah, so yeah. I'm looking at the grenade. Yeah, it's about- you know. An undercover what? He was, was a pilot off duty, not undercover. <laughs> but he was he was just a pilot who was traveling yeah. you on his a, day like, off. You thought it was an undercover customer, like a mystery shopper? No, I was thinking- Because undercover, I just- I went like a cop or something. But then I was like, no, it's a pilot. Yeah. And I know they have authority in the sky- what do you want the pi- an undercover pilot to do? An off-duty pilot, anyway. I, I think they just know that he, they can trust him. Yeah. If they're going to ask someone, he's someone in plain clothes that could maybe more subtly yeah, yeah, suss yeah. out the scenario. Yeah. yeah. Like you said, find out will it be a problem. Is this grenade big enough to blow a hole in the <laughs> yeah. side of the plane? Uh, and so they're discussing what they should do. The decision they came to was that they would head to a nearby airport at Grand Junction in Colorado. As to not cause panic, the pilot announced over the PA that they were experiencing a minor technical issue and they were going to head to the airport for a quick repair. I don't know how that would sound, Dave. Uh, nothing to uh, worry about, dear. Uh, certainly no customer with a hand grenade and 20D. <laughs> oh, I've said too much there. Um, <laughs> like I said, we just needed to refill uh, some refreshments. So we forgot to load the, the ice creams on in Newark, so we're just going to get those on uh, pronto. Uh, Kevin, uh, lock doors. <laughs> Doors. <laughs> At that point, the doors have been wide open. As they fly. Uh, engine start, please. <laughs> Forgot to turn on the engine. <laughs> engine start, we are, please. We are gliding. And then the like, uh, sir, this is uh, not a voice-activated plane. <laughs> She's going to push the button. <laughs> uh, recline seat. <laughs> <laughs> So, can I ask you about Jimmy J, Mr. Johnson? He's got the grenade, but has he said anything yet? They've just noticed he's holding it. He said nothing. Imagine sitting next to him. Yeah. Again, I wouldn't say anything. I don't think I would I don't want to make a scene. Like, I'd never knock on the toilet door. I'd never say, hey, what's that? I would just sit there and go, okay. Probably pull out the magazine. 
look, look, pretend to look through, but just while I'm quietly again shitting myself. But just I start say writing it. a note. Yeah. Hey, everyone at home. <laughs> yeah. Uh, love you all. That's going to get blown up too. <laughs> well, I don't want to be rude. <laughs> just in case. Yeah. Just in case this doesn't get blown up. Yeah. Uh, the guy next to me, I reckon- about five ten. Um, <laughs> I'd be paying. I'd be paying for the onboard Wi-Fi. Oh yeah. Send a few texts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Updating a few tweets. <laughs> <laughs> hey guys, sitting next to a guy with a hand grenade. Ask me anything. <laughs> <laughs> Would I be the asshole if I said something about this guy? Hi, <laughs> thirty-two year old female, <laughs> next to uh, male, twenty to twenty-five. <laughs> My question is, would I be an asshole if I said something about this? I just don't feel fully comfy with him having a grenade on this flight. But but maybe- Nothing against grenades. Yeah. <laughs> but maybe that's my problem. I should work through this. Yeah. <laughs> so, the plan was to go to this, this smaller nearby airport and have law enforcement meet them there. When the off-duty pilot approached seat 20D, Johnson pulled out a gun. Okay. And he handed over- the envelope that had been returned to him. <laughs> it was labelled hijack instructions. <laughs> and that had been returned to him. <laughs> <laughs> excuse me, excuse me, someone left this envelope with hijack instructions on it. <laughs> Is this anyone's? Oh yes, that's right. <laughs> Returned it to him. <laughs> but do you reckon, you know how he went, he got that back and then went to the toilet for ages? Do you think he was just looking at the mirror going, idiot, stupid, never leave behind the instructions? <laughs> that is so outrageous. Has anybody uh, left uh, a, an envelope? Oh, uh, I did, but what does it say? Um, hijacking instructions. Oh, no, that's not mine. No, that's mine. <laughs> Oh, God, I've lost my envelope. You're so lucky to get yours back. <laughs> Never going to believe it. The guy who uh, I just returned the hijacking instructions to has locked himself in the toilet for 20 minutes. Should we be concerned? Yeah, concerned that we're going to be late. We need to take off. We'll get the pilot to get him out and still take off. <laughs> Security was so, so wild about it then. Well, it's all about customer service. <laughs> yeah, the customer's right. always right. That's right. Yeah. If he wants to hijack, he wants to hijack. That's exactly. what the customer wants to do, and we have to facilitate that for him to make it a, ple- <laughs> a pleasant experience. So he told the off-duty pilot, give this envelope to the girl and have her take it to the captain. This happened, and the, then the off-duty pilot returned to his seat. According to <laughs> Job done. <laughs> totally. It's like, I'm off the clock. <laughs> Technically, <laughs> I'm not being paid right now. Yeah. Seat recline. And I think that's good. On. I think you have to have work-life balance, mm. you know? He'd be- How shattered would you be? God, what are the odds? Mm. This is my day off. <laughs> Do you think pilots have to fly economy? Surely not. Yeah. Well, I think they might. I don't know. We had a, a family friend who was a Qantas pilot and, like, the whole- His kids all- you know, did their gap years and stuff much cheaper mm. than a lot of their other friends. Free flights. Nice. Very nice. You imagine it, they'd at least get bumped up if there was a spare seat. Surely, yeah. Can I sit in the cockpit? <laughs> yeah, I mean. Yeah, I mean, please. Sure, Gary, if you. It's, <laughs> it's your flight. <laughs> <laughs> I would prefer you did, yeah. <laughs> Fucking hell, oh Gary. Oh, my God, let's go. 
How did he? How did? How does he fly a plane? He's an idiot. Uh, there's a, a great article written by Sylvia Wrigley, who's a pilot and aviation writer. Uh, has written a few books about flying. Uh, has a particular interest in DB Cooper and uh, her website Fear of Landing uh, talks about this incident. <laughs> Incredible website, name. bit of fun. Uh, <laughs> so, so this is Sylvia Wrigley writing. Uh, Johnson instructed the other passengers in row 19 and 20 to move to first class in the front of the aircraft, which they were more than happy to do. That is awesome. Do you reckon he said, you've been upgraded? <laughs> yeah. It's like some sort of badass. Yeah. I'd hope so. You'd kick yourself if you didn't. Yeah. Hey, can you come back? I've just thought of what I, I should have said. something really funny. You've been upgraded. Yeah, get, get back there. Whatever. <laughs> I don't know if you remember in the DB Cooper one, he had a- a crew member sitting next to him, for, mm. and and that crew member got a good look at him and and was one of the ones responsible for the yeah. the famous sketch of him. Was that Florence Flo? Oh my god! If it is, that's it was, a great it was Florence. Memory. Yeah, Flo Shaft. And again, I don't remember what we did last week, <laughs> but I remember it was Flo- it was Florence. So Johnson did a similar thing, only he tweaked it a bit. Had them sit in front of him, so they didn't they weren't looking at him constantly and wouldn't be able to get that great sketch done. Gotcha. So um, yeah, he he's. Certainly learnt some lessons from the DB Cooper hijacking, mm. either firsthand or not. I'm not saying. Okay, okay. <laughs> Back to Wrigley. According to one account, the first class cabin crew member spoke to a doctor on board to ask if he had a medical bag with him, as there was a man on board with a grenade. <laughs> the doctor reputedly said that yes, he did, but it wouldn't be much help if a hand grenade blew up in the plane full of people. <laughs> Will you be able to tape these people back together? <laughs> How good a doctor are you? Yeah. <laughs> How like much a- string you got in there? You got a lot of stitching to do. Do you have a- any strepsils? <laughs> you think about, so talking about that off-duty pilot who's like, oh, how lucky am I to be on this flight? Uh, but apparently uh, the odds weren't that outrageous to board a plane that got hijacked back then. It was the golden age for skyjackings. According to Robert Holden, between 1968 and 1972, there were 326 skyjacking attempts, meaning more than one a week on average. Wow. And and security was at a different level and all that sort of stuff, and that's all changed in a lot of ways because of this. The word skyjack was actually coined around that time uh, in the 60s and is thought to have originated in headlines uh, in newspapers such as the New York Mirror. Great term, skyjacking. Skyjack. You pat yourself on the back if yeah. you're the first one mm. to come up with that. This is why I, I quite like American English. They have a bit of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Not like these bloody stiff shirts up in the freaking mother country. You know yeah. what I mean? There's no fear of landing.co.uk. <laughs> let me tell you that. Yeah. Interestingly, the phrase stiff up a lip, which is, you know, you think of as an English thing, that was coined in America. Really? <laughs> fun fact. Did you learn that from Bill Bryson? Yes, I did. That's <laughs> <laughs> off to the captain. <laughs> <laughs> I hate Bill Bryson. <laughs> the captain of this flight was Jerry D. Hearn. He opened the envelope that had been passed to him from Johnson via a stewardess. According to the FBI, inside were two type pages of highly detailed directions, also a hand grenade pin and a bullet. Basically, uh, going, okay. I'm legit here. All right. I'm holding this hand grenade, but the pin's out, so you try and tackle me or anything, and I let go. Oh, we, shit. We explode. Uh, and the bullet, obviously, to show. Look, these are real live bullets. To show that the gun no longer has a bullet. <laughs> yeah, but if required, I will need you to come back. Give Can, me the bullet. I just wanted to show you that it is a real bullet. <laughs> now I'll need that back, please. <laughs> 
Uh, the instructions required the pilot to land at San Francisco International Airport and park at runway 19 left. There, he was to follow certain procedures which designated the number of persons allowed near the plane at one time and the distance from the aircraft that all vehicles, other than those containing fuel, were to be kept. This, these are also very similar to uh, DB Cooper's instructions. In addition, Johnson demanded $500,000 in cash, four parachutes, and the return of all written or typed directions given during the course of the flight. He's like, I don't want to leave any evidence with you. Every note I give you, you return it. The four parachutes is also the same as Cooper. Mm. The five hundred grand that's he's gone uh, double and a half. Okay. On what Cooper went for. Is it for a public the- holiday or something? Must have been. Yeah. <laughs> I think it actually was a public holiday weekend. (laughs) Oh, my God. Double time and a half. (laughs) I'm not working for free He knows what he's worth. I'm not doing my normal hourly rates. (laughs) The guy who tried to escape prison is on board. Is the guard with him some sort of officer of the law? Yes, he is unarmed. Okay. (laughs) Wow. Obviously, you don't let (laughs) anyone can bring a gun on, but not not law enforcement agents. Come on, Dave. Don't be silly. That would be ridiculous. Now I say it out loud, I see how silly that sounds. Mm. Uh, so, based on this new information and these demands, the crew decided to abandon their plan of, of landing in Colorado. An announcement was made over the PA that the plans had changed as the Grand Junction Airport was too small for them to do what they were intending to go there for. So, they would head to San Francisco instead. So, they're still playing it cool. Even though some people on the plane have definitely seen a man seen with a hand grenade. Pu- and pull a gun on a guy walking past. Yeah, so people at the back of the plane where he's sitting or around his area would be like, why are you lying to us? But mm. there be must be a few people still that they're just like- what? Right, because Denver to San Francisco is quite a long way. Yeah. It's not like this the next city over. Yeah, right. <laughs> so you'd hear that and you go, oh, okay, guess we're going to San Fran, all right. But you probably wouldn't assume, but maybe you would because it's the golden age of, of skyjacking. Yeah. Apparently one of the big um, destinations for skyjackers back then was Cuba. So this this is pretty close compared to Cuba, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> or is it about the same? I have no idea. No idea. Well, they are flying further away from Cuba now, sadly, for, maybe, the, for the skyjacker. Maybe it's his first stop. You know. Refuel. Refuel. Head to Cuba. On to Cuba. Gotcha. In the 60s and 70s, it sounds like the standard way of dealing with hijackers was to give them whatever they asked for. So, this is what they plan to do. Ah, <laughs> like dealing with toddlers. Ah, yeah. <laughs> you give in once, they'll probably never ask again. Exactly right. They'll go, thank you for thank giving you. me that thing that I wanted. Thank yeah. you for honouring exactly. my needs and wants. You treated me with respect, I'll treat you with respect. Yeah, that's right. But Mom, it- what can we do for you today? <laughs> <laughs> How about we go get a little cheeky flat white? I know you love those. I'll play quietly in the corner. How about that? (laughs) (laughs) How about we, uh, let's go shopping and you can try stuff on and I'll give you an honest opinion. Buy yourself something nice. (laughs) Bit of you time. I'll be quiet. I'll fall asleep in the car. Yeah. (laughs) I think the airlines especially were like, our number one concern is making sure the plane and the passengers and all of that stays intact. Yeah, I totally get that. But the the combination of allowing anyone to bring anything they like onto a plane yeah. and also giving terrorists whatever they want, it's, it's not a great one. Not a good combo. <laughs> mm. But And apparently, on the other hand, the FBI, they were seen as being a bit more loose. They'd come come out all guns blazing sort of thing. <laughs> They're like, let's just shoot, shoot it down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, probably somewhere in the middle is yeah. the ideal. <laughs> Uh, on the ground at San Francisco, uh, United Airlines started organising the cash and parachutes as per the hijackers' demands. 
Once they landed in San Francisco, they taxied to a remote runway bordering San Francisco Bay. The 95 passengers on board sat for hours while the hijackers' demands were negotiated. Right, and they're still pretending that it's all cool? I think it's it's becoming clear now. <laughs> <laughs> all of Johnson's demands were met. The plane was filled with fuel to the brim at about six hours flying time. They got rid of all the other passengers' luggage. Uh, his lug- He had his ticket. He- they brought his luggage up to him. Uh, <laughs> he brought it up to he- him. The prisoner that he noticed before, he used him as sort of the gopher. So, he got him to go and-, and bring the money onto the plane and those sort of things and the parachutes and whatnot. According to the FBI, after seeing the completion of his written notes some three hours or three and a half hours after the plane had parked, Johnson released the passengers and one of the stewardesses. He then ordered the rest of the crew into the cockpit and took a position in the rear of the aircraft. So, it's just him now with uh, the five remaining crew members. Mm, Right, and he made them go into the cockpit. Yeah, everyone up in Mm. the cockpit. I got the rest. Yeah, cool. But then, like, how can they bring you snacks? Mm. Yeah, that's right. Didn't he in the galley, like, sort of microwaving his own little (laughs) meals, little pastas? Yeah, he's got the pick of the board. Packet of chippies. (laughs) Peanuts, oh, please. A couple of packets of peanuts, thank you very much. Mm. According to the Times, uh, these remaining crew members' names were Captain Hearn, the first officer, K.R. Bradley, the second officer, K.W. Owen, and three stewardesses, D.M. Serdum, D.K. Sugimoto, (laughs) and M N U B. Does it sound like D insertum? What's that the name? D M Sertum. Who does it? Bit of fun. Bit of fun. <laughs> Dave, you find joy in Those all sorts of places. D insertum. Okay. Understood. <laughs> Roger that. Uh, after that, I missed. The, uh, I need to hear the, the last two names just to give them their their time. Uh, D K Sugimoto and M N U B. Great names as well. Mm. One of the released passengers later said that the hijacker had planned the incident so carefully and had the crewmen so well organised in taking care of some of its aspects that it sometimes appeared that there were more than one. United Airlines also believed for a time that two or three hijackers were involved. Right, because it was just so efficient. Yes. Another reason was uh, Johnson went into the toilet and- he came out looking quite different. Oh, did he put the wig and stuff on in there? Yes. <laughs> he got changed. He put makeup on, sort of like to change the complexion of his skin. Um, so, some people, you know, saw one guy go in, another come out. They just thought they were two different guys. So, wow. I just wondering what the advantage of of showing what you really look like yeah. and then changing rather than just rocking up at the airport back in the day when they don't really give a shit about passports or anything or photo ID for these, these internal flights. Mm. Do what? the change in the airport, In the surely, airport, so yeah. no one ever sees your- Unless it's a third disguise, you know what I mean? At the airport, he's rocking up yes. looking like- so That would be a real mm. sort of left turn. You go, I look like this, which is a disguise. I go in there, put on a second disguise. I come out in a Snoopy costume. <laughs> put the money in the bag. <laughs> what do you think? Uh, it's pretty good. It's I think that was more clever than this. With okay. the big head and everything? Yeah, everything. Hmm. <laughs> How much? <laughs> In the bag. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Snoopy. <laughs> Do whatever you want, baby. <laughs> uh, Johnson's at the back of the plane. He's got. He's he's kicking his feet up. He's got all this room now. And he starts using the intercom to talk to the cockpit. 
And he also uses that to say when he wants the stewardess to come grab another note. Okay. Uh, so he goes, hey, come, can you send send her down? Just got, tell us the instruction on the, on the phone now. No, I got a note for you. Come down. <laughs> <laughs> it's very important. I've printed the notes, okay? Yeah, come on. Don't make me waste the notes. So, according <laughs> to the FBI, he gave another set of flight instructions telling the pilot to take off towards the east, climb to 16,000 feet, and fly precisely at 200 miles per hour on a course that would overpass several specific Utah communities. Sort of had him zigzagging. Uh, but it was all very specific. Mm. According to the New York Times, they flew over the snowy Sierra Nevadas and the entire state. It went on over Fairfield and then headed towards Salt Lake City, home of the Utah Jazz. Stay jazzy. <laughs> <laughs> it's the jazziest state. That's why they call them that. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, this is the beehive state. It's the best one. Beehive state, so good. Yeah. Where the Utah beehives? The Utah buzz? <laughs> Oh, my God. That's so much better than jazz. Yeah, the Utah They've Buzz. They've still got jazz from a hangover from when they were moved from another city. Oh, right. So, it's got it's like a, a very un-jazz-like state. It's probably the least jazzy state. <laughs> wow. They were trying to be, bring a bit of jazz to the state. <laughs> Didn't work. But it's only- Yeah, it feels funny. They're like, this is the important part that we're buying. When we buy this franchise, we're really buying the name jazz. <laughs> we're bringing jazz to yeah. Utah. We really don't care about basketball. <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys- do jazz? Because that's what we thought we were buying. <laughs> yeah, that's right. There's been a little miscommunication. No take backsies. Aww. The FBI continues. The messages now hand printed between Johnson and Pilot were sent with increasing frequency, always using the stewardess as a courier. The cabin was ordered to be depressurized, and the gunman warned that if any pursuit planes were spotted, he would detonate a hidden explosive device after he had jumped and before the plane had landed, obviously. So he's okay. like- if anyone follows us, I've got an extra thing on here. Mm-hmm. Be a fun position to be in. Like, I mean, ideally, you'd have all these things, but you could just say anything. Also, um, I'm tracking you. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. don't follow me and I can read your minds. <laughs> <laughs> so, don't even think about it, okay? <laughs> but as far as they know, they, you know, that could be true. So, they're treating everything like it's real. Uh, when the stewardess realized that Johnson had forgotten to request the return of one of his notes- she quietly hid it. Okay. One of the handwritten ones. Whoa. Mm. Ballsy. Yeah. According to Wrigley, all 727 cockpit doors had been equipped with fisheye peepholes in reaction to the DB Cooper hijacking. So, basically, so they're like, we can see out. Makes sense. And you still see that to this day, right? They often have like a little- Little peephole. Little peephole. Oh, peep? The other the, per- the pilots are just- Pilots are just pervs. Yeah. I want, I want like, peepholes on doors to be bigger. Can't see shit. I'm always yeah, like, oh, is that small. a person or a shadow? I think what you want is a window. Yes. <laughs> I'd like a window in my door. Yes, I want people to see in. <laughs> I want them to see me looking at them yeah. and then going, shh, 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 we're not here. So fuck off. <laughs> I think they believe me. Fuck off. So I think <laughs> Mum believed me. Honestly, I do see a lot of um, design f- Instagrams and stuff like that with these big, beautiful glass front doors, and I'm like, yes, that looks lovely. Let so much light into that entry hallway. Beautiful. But I don't want people to see in. Me either. Absolutely, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Yeah, I think that's fair. Why would you? I want to be able to hide. Well, people that um, their house is right on the street. Massive windows. Yeah. No curtains. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like, like you know, we're watching 
reality TV. Yeah. <laughs> you can see everything. I'm walking past your bedroom. Have some shame. Have a bit of shame, would you? Well, Sorry, Matt, please continue. No, well, think about this. Uh-huh. If you are worried about these windows and people being able to see in, do what Johnson did. And simply place a piece of tape over the peephole. Oh, that's good. <laughs> that's clever. Well, not if it's clear tape. That doesn't help that much at all, does it? <laughs> oh, my God. I hope he wasn't using clear might tape. might make it a little cloudier yeah. if it's like a sellotape type thing. Oh, but it also might magnify it somehow. Yeah, but make if it's it- that super clear tape, that's doing fuck all, to Just be honest. Put a bit of Vaseline over there. Yeah. You know, get Ooh, a nice- oh, Make a it of- quite romantic. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit of Vaso. <laughs> Unfortunately for Johnson, uh, this didn't quite- fully blocked the view because the second officer found that he could see into the cabin from the gap under the cockpit door, which I'm guessing must have been pretty big because under it he watched as Johnson put on a jumpsuit, a helmet, and a parachute. Wow. How many costume changes has he brought? (laughs) It's incredible. It's like a bloody Britney Spears concert. (laughs) New outfit. I'm here for it. Britney Spears, what a topical reference too. (laughs) Well, it's funny because uh, in my mind I went Madonna. I'm like, no, update it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm down with the youth. Nailed it. Uh, Doja Cat. Oh, yeah, okay, good one. Does Doja do costume changes? Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift. Yeah. Um, Taylor Swift. Okay, I'll fix that in the edit. (laughs) 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 He then shut off the cabin lights and sent one last note via the crew member asking for wind, ground and air speeds of the aircraft, altimeter settings and local weather conditions. The pilot would have been loving this. Uh, yeah, yeah, can- uh, <laughs> yeah he's, every time he's like, you don't have to announce it. I told you what to do. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, it's just me. I know, but normally I don't get to say it and people find it boring, but I love to talk about love, this stuff. I love getting on there. I love saying what the weather is, you know. Let me try and help you figure it I out. I love saying a balmy 17. <laughs> and if Melbourne is home, uh, <laughs> welcome home. <Yeah. laughs> and if it's a holiday destination, enjoy your stay. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> It feels like he's trying to be secretive and he doesn't want them to see him, but then he's also inviting one member out each time so that steward could just go, oh, he's in a different outfit now and remember what he looks like, right? I guess that maybe he's thinking it's just easier for him to control. Like, they can't overpower him. They can't surprise him. Oh, okay, sure. Maybe? Sure. Yeah, Bloody yeah. I'm not sure. No, that does make sense. According to the Times, the California Highway Patrol told its officers throughout Northern California to be on the alert for flares and parachutes. Two supersonic F-104 jets were ordered from the Hamilton Air Force Base to shadow the jetliner. But they said, please stay out of sight because he's saying that if he sees anyone following us, we will be blown up. Yeah, wow. So, they still had someone following but at a supposedly safe distance. Mm. Like the pilot was like holding a magazine in front of his face. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Looks not sus. Eye holes cut out. (laughs) When a signal light started flashing indicating that the rear exit door had been opened, United radioed to report that the hijacker had bailed out over Nevada. Right, because that was a, it's the same plane as DB Cooper, right? Yeah. So that was the, the key feature of that plane was that there were like rear stairs that lowered out the back. Exactly, they'd lower out the back and they could do that while yes, at a in certain height or something because yeah. the and uh, without um, uh, the pressure, yeah, yeah, like sucking you out without sucking you out or off. Yeah, <laughs> just in case you were worried about that. <laughs> Oh, no, the pressure sucked me off. <laughs> so, that didn't happen. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, nearly 400 episodes. Somehow. Somehow. Still <laughs> going strong. Yeah, I don't know how. It was in the news recently that there was an air 
plane that had someone open the emergency door oh, in I the air. Oh, I saw that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, is there a few hundred metres from landing? Yeah, that's right. So, apparently, that was the only reason it was able to happen is because they already started the um, landing procedures. But uh, well, thankfully, that also meant everyone was strapped to their seats, right? Yeah. So, no one got sucked, sucked out, out or well, off. Yeah. One of those pros, one of those cons. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then it must be Im- almost impossible to get the door closed, right? Did they yeah. get the door closed or was it just open while they landed? No, I think it was open until they landed, I believe. Because don't those ones just fall out, those emergency doors? Am I thinking of those right? I think you pop them open and they go. <laughs> there was something like, I don't know if it was to do with, like, if it happened straight away, but I think when the plane landed, maybe I, I saw a description of the plane, like the escape slide had popped out or something like oh, that. Oh, shit. Yeah. Bit of fun. That would be a why, wild ride. Why did that happen? Was there any explanation? Uh, the guy who did it was causing trouble, I guess. I did. It, he apparently did it on purpose. Like, he opened the guard and then Fuck. opened the It wasn't like an accident. Imagine yeah, sitting but- in that, like, exit road <laughs> and the door is just open. You're like- <laughs> <laughs> there's, fo- have you, there's footage of it. I haven't so, seen it. Yeah, mobile phone footage. Yeah. So, people obviously weren't shitting themselves too much to- you know, take but a I think few maybe a couple of people had to go to hospital for like minor, you know, breathing stuff because it, it was hard to breathe whilst the wind was sucking off your face. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> You're trying to suck it in, and it's all been sucked out. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's a, a story that you would tell for the rest of your life if you were on that flight for and sure. I got sucked again. off by a plane. <laughs> that, is that the story, man? Yeah, <laughs> you speak in Daily Mail headlines. <laughs> so yeah, the the back door. The rear door's been open. They've got a light in the cockpit, so they're like, all right, he's jumped. We'll let him know. It looks like he's bailed out over Nevada. This sent FBI agents scrambling to get to the approximate drop zone near Tonopah in Nevada, but it turned out to be incorrect. While the door had been opened, he had not yet jumped, <laughs> and they realized that when he called to send another note. Like, oh, oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. Oh, he's, you're still here. He's, like, trying to get the courage up going, you can do it. All right. Just one, one big jump. Two, here we go. Three. Here we go. All right. Next one. Here we go. <laughs> Definitely this time. He may or may not have realized this, but the uh, parachutes that were given to him had tracking devices Whoa. inserted by the FBI. He th- he threw them out, though, and it seems like he he was doing this on purpose to put them off the scent. Right. So, he threw, he threw them out at different locations, and the FBI- had scrambled to go to these locations as well. Um, um One of the downsides to them is they didn't have very good li- uh, battery life, so uh, the tracking devices, apparently, mm. so they- It lasted six minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> were- yeah, the last we saw was in the air, so I'm guessing it's still <laughs> up there somewhere. Lights <laughs> up the skies, boys. <laughs> He's still on the plane. <laughs> the notes did finally stop after they passed the final Utah town on his prescribed course. He had finally jumped. Oh, wow. About five hours after the hijacking began, the crew was finally free and able to head to the nearby Salt Lake City International Airport, taking a bit of jazz. (laughs) (laughs) They deserve it. They had a stressful day. Yeah. What a day. The FBI's investigation was in full swing, with agents heading to Salt Lake City to search the plane and helicopters and jeeps headed into the Utah area where he was thought to have jumped. They were- um, Obviously, they were all across that side of America at the time, but now they had a better idea of, of where he jumped. Uh, interviews with crew and passengers were already being conducted. According to the FBI, one stewardess recalled the subject was flashily dressed. Other passengers and crew remembered he went into the lav 
for an extended period, as we talked about before. <laughs> yeah. They're like, he, all we remember about him is he, he was in there doing something. Yeah, I think call- he's a bit backed up, if <laughs> I can be honest. We called him Mr. Stinky. Is I it- offered him some Metamucil. I said, mate, you need a bit of fibre. <laughs> you need this more than me. <laughs> He's either backed up or jacked off. We're not sure. <laughs> not sure, but, but it's, it's one definitely of the two. one of them. What the, else could it be? So, the general consensus was that the individual had donned a wig and moustache while in there, but then others thought maybe it was a second person, you know? This is where they were kind of right, yeah. a bit confused at first. So, the FBI hearing maybe it was a couple of people, maybe it was one, not quite sure. And then also confusing all this, the notes received by the crew generally use terminology like we this or we that, giving the impression that there were more than one person. According to this podcast, Death in the West, season two of Death in the West is all about this. It's like a 10-part series talking about this story and the D.B. Cooper story. Uh, it's a lot of fun. It's like an independent podcast out of Montana. Mm. I really, I've really enjoyed listening to it. And I love that they've got um, their sponsor is a local cafe in their town. I'm like, I want to go to this you cafe. You want to go? Does it sound great? It sounds so good. The dishes- Mm-hmm. The drinks, mm-hmm. I'm in. Yeah, but I just I love how on a podcast which is being listened to all around the world, yeah. a cafe is the sponsor. I think that's sick. It's so good. I really hope to be able to get there sometime. Anyway, um, I'd recommend listening to that podcast if you want to find out about a great cafe. Find out about a great cafe. <laughs> uh, but here, even in more details about this story. Yeah, so that podcast, Death in the West, I think it's worth listening to. I'll mention it a few times coming up. But um, <laughs> sounds awesome. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, it's in that style, you know, the NPR sort of ones where it's like, today we're going to talk <laughs> about a man. <laughs> Real fun. Unlike this, which is- oh, Dog shit. Dog shit. They talk like in a beautiful rhythm. And we go- <laughs> <laughs> A plane sucked me off. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like a bunch of cats yeah. all going- <laughs> <laughs> It's like there's like there's two podcast styles and that's ours. <laughs> Everyone else is in the other. And we the and we love styles. it. We love it. So we invented the style. Yeah. <laughs> Copyright. A parachute was later found by a 14 year old boy on the side of a road while his family had pulled over to replace a flat tire. Oh wow! This is the following day. Uh, the dad ended up after their trip. He took it into the local sheriff. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's definitely- <laughs> Right. You wouldn't want to find a parachute on its own. You'd be looking up going, is there someone else around here that oh, this belonged to? Yeah. Or- Good call, yeah. Yes. And then the person splats you from above. <laughs> yeah. The search of the plane was fruitful, finding a clear fingerprint on an in-flight magazine in the spot next to his seat. He went through the mag. I mean, everyone gets bored. <laughs> He didn't back there a, for ages. He, yeah. he filled his luggage with costume changes. He didn't have space for a book. Yeah. Yes, he had no entertainment whatsoever. Mm, mm. Didn't he, bring his Nintendo Switch. He was also Idiot. wearing gloves, so he's obviously like, I've got to take off the gloves to be able to flick the pages. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Oh, how am I going to find out the Sudoku answers unless I flick to the back? <laughs> Can't get any grip with these freaking gloves. <laughs> Those bad gloves. They also found the handwritten note that the stewardess had hidden. So, they had a handwriting sample and a fingerprint, right, they thought. Sounds like they'd probably try and return their note to him, though. Did you lose this? Is <laughs> yeah, this yours? Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. They put, yeah, they just flew- They went back over where he dropped from yeah, and just let it out there. Yeah. So. I still can't believe they handed the letter saying a hijack instruction. Yeah, there's, there's some- Like, Wrigley said she couldn't figure it out, definitely. But she's like, surely- it was there was another envelope above it or something that yeah, was surely, unmarked. Surely they didn't. Or hand- he's written that on after the fact. <laughs> yeah, surely. surely. 
But she's like, it's not clear. Maybe they did. Oh, my God. They just didn't bother reading it. Yeah. I mean, it's not mine. I don't yeah, want to. That would be rude. That would be very That's rude. That's a felony. <laughs> not, not Opening other people's mail. Felony. <laughs> felony. Felony is such a great word. What does what, it mean? Do we Who have knows? felonies? I don't think we have felonies. Is that an American no. thing? It's a real shame. No felonies over here. Let's bring them in. Bring in the felonies. <laughs> yeah. I think we should take on some of the best bits of the American justice system. You know, lots of people in jail. Yes. Felonies. Yes. Lots of suing people. Oh, yeah. We don't sue enough here. Yeah. Let's get more litigious. <laughs> so I can say that word, which I love to say. <laughs> yeah, it's great to say. According to the FBI, at approximately 2 a.m., FBI agents, Provo City Police and the Utah County Sheriff's Posse, which I love, lined up some 20 or 30 yards apart and combed the surrounding fields. The night dragged on, but no new leads were developed. Right. Can I ask? I forgot to ask before. When he jumped, was it still daylight? No, or- no night time. Night time. Well, scary jump. Mm. Same as D.B. Cooper, yeah. though. Night jump. Mm. The following day, they did get a big break, though. <gasps> as the people of Utah awoke to news of the hijacking, the FBI started receiving some tips, a few phone calls, including one that really caught their attention. According to Wrigley, the caller said his acquaintance had told him that he had a foolproof plan for hijacking a plane. They remembered a conversation they'd held after the D.B. Cooper hijacking and knew that his friend had the skills to be able to pull this off. Right. I mean, it's foolproof until you start telling everyone about it, especially people with loose lips. What a great friend, too. Yeah. If one of you fucking dogs- I will not dog you. Called me- No, but, like, if they come to you and they're really laying it on thick, I would understand. But this is, like, I'm actively going to the police Yeah, that's right. Just calling them up. That's dog. Mm. Uh, His friend's name? Richard Floyd McCoy Jr. Richard Floyd McCoy Jr. That's amazing. Floyd McCoy. Floyd yeah. McCoy Jr. Richard Floyd McCoy Jr. Yeah. I love it and hate it. Mm. Wow, that's rare. <laughs> Get both. I'm really curious to see what you think of this guy. Okay. Well, uh, a very interesting character. So this is, oh, okay. This is the- This is the guy yeah. who is being fingered. Not the fingerer, but the fingeree. Yeah, gotcha. Oh, right. So the mate stopped in McCoy. Yeah, yes. I thought for a second I thought the friend's name was McCoy, but this is the guy he's accusing. This is Floyd accusing. McCoy. I'll J'accuse. tell you about the friend. Jacques McCoy. In a little bit. This is the uh, the accused. Okay, great. So who's this man? Richard Floyd McCoy Jr. His parents were Richard Floyd McCoy <laughs> Sr. Yep, could have figured that one out. And his mum was Myrtle McCoy. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the only reason I bring them up because Myrtle his mum name was Myrtle McCoy. Myrtle that's McCoy. Fun to say. Not Myrtle enough McCoy. Myrtles. Not enough Myrtles. Bring, bring them back, back. Bring back Myrtle. It's funny to hear about this story. So she's a Myrtle and, and Richard Senior grandparents at the time. Richard Junior's got a couple of kids, including Richard the Third, Dick the Third. Oh, of course. Really? And um so for ages I was picturing Myrtle as this. You know, Nana, 80-year-old Nana or whatever. Mm. She's like 45. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, what? They were having kids young back then. They were. They were doing Which means right. you're having grandkids young. Which having means you're having kids grand- young. grandkids. You know what I mean? <laughs> Do you ever meet any of your great-grandparents? I think mine were all gone by the I time I was like a, Maybe a photo of me with maybe grandma's mum or something. But Yeah, I can't remember. I don't think so. Maybe that's my sister, to be honest. I've just seen photos. Yeah. You can't God, tell the difference between your great-grandmother and your sister? <laughs> that is a slap in the face. I've met your sister many times. She is noticeably a young woman. Yeah. She has some real Myrtle vibes. <laughs> she could be a Myrtle. Really? 
No, I say that. That's a compliment. I, I say that, uh, yeah, positively. It's a lovely name. Yeah. Don't it's get a me lovely wrong. name. Honestly, it's a sick Shit, name. I'd, 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 yeah, Myrtle, I reckon. I'd, I'd buy that. Yeah. Anyway, but she's not, Myrtle sadly. Perkins. That's real Myrtle good, Perkins. actually. Myrtle Perkins is so good. Mm, Myrtle Warnicky, not that good. Not that good. Myrtle Stewart. Not Myrtle Stewart's good. not, but not Myrtle, bad. Perkins. Myrtle, Myrtle Perkins. Myrtle Perkins. It's the Urt and Irk, I yeah, think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Huh. Great. Well, there you go. Food for huh? thought. Put it, on, put it on the list. <laughs> <laughs> of names to change your own to. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, according to Wrigley, Richard McCoy was a devout Mormon who lived in Provo, Utah since 1962. He was born in 42, so he's been there since he was 20. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, it, you know, this is now 72, so he's 29 at the time. When he enrolled at Brigham Young University is when he moved to Provo. And also they thought he was 20 to 25 and he's 29. Yeah. yeah that's so a, that's, that's a, a compliment. That's a good moisturiser. Absolutely. Mm. That, my friends, is the benefit of SPF. <laughs> I mean, that's if it is him, of course. Oh. Okay. The fingered. <laughs> uh, he dropped out to join the army where he served two years in Vietnam as a demolition expert and pilot. He was wounded in action, for which he was awarded the Purple Heart in 1964 and was sent home to recuperate. He returned to Brigham Young University where he met his future wife, Karen. What a, what a downgrade from Myrtle. Your mum's Myrtle. Your wife's, your wife's Karen. Karen. But she didn't choose her name. But you can choose your wife. Yeah, And that's you've right. chosen Paul. And you've chosen Karen. Karen. <laughs> Richard and Karen. But uh, interesting to note that he was a pilot. Yes. Let me know a few things about planes. I, also, I've zoned out. That he, pilot. he was a demolition expert and also a pilot. Like, are you demolishing shit with planes? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that sounds like or demolishing planes. Yeah. They had way too many yeah. planes back then. <laughs> oh, I just crash a plane into it. <laughs> Whatever. That should do it. Uh, Wrigley goes on. He then agreed to serve another term in the army on the condition that he could go to Vietnam. This time, he was awarded an Army Commendation Medal for heroism. In 1968, he was awarded the Distinguished Flying Cross for a rescue he flew as a combat helicopter pilot. Oh, wow. McCoy distinguished himself by exceptionally valorous actions during the early morning hours of the 8th of November 1967 while serving as a helicopter pilot with the Air Cavalry Troop. Upon hearing that the compound was in the process of being overrun by a large Viet Cong force, Warrant Officer McCoy volunteered to fly his aircraft to the scene in support of the friendly forces. In spite of poor visibility due to thick ground fog and intermittent cloud layers and a complete lack of tactical maps for the area. Flying by instrumentation and radio alone, McCoy located the compound and came under automatic weapons and small arms fire. With the position of the compound marked by a flare and the firefight marked by tracer rounds, Warrant Officer McCoy began a series of firing passes, launching rockets directly at the Viet Cong positions until all his ammunition was expended. Due to his courageous fight and highly accurate fire, the enemy was completely routed. When he returned to Utah, he considered a third tour of Vietnam, but his wife refused. He volunteered as a warrant officer in the Utah National Guard and took up skydiving as a hobby. Oh. He taught Mormon Sunday school and returned to Brigham Young University again, this time to study law enforcement. He told friends that he wished to become an FBI or CIA agent. So, yeah, he had some relevant skills, but he was a like a full-on war hero. Yeah. Yes. And wanting to go into some sort of uh, law enforcement uh, and, and then potentially choosing to commit a big old crime. Mm. Mm. He zigged. And he's a skydiver. Yeah, maybe it was all just a ploy 
throw him off the scent. It couldn't be him. Wow. Sometimes, you know, you, you learn. Like, I think they would know how to get away with crimes better than anyone. Mm. People in law enforcement, you'd assume. Yeah, well, you, you know, <laughs> learn from other people's mistakes. Yeah. So, he had the necessary skills to pull off the heist, but his community thought it was very unlikely. According to Time magazine, family, friends, and neighbours were incredulous, for McCoy hardly seemed the hijacker type. A quiet family man, father of two, and devout Mormon, McCoy had taught Sunday school. All he ever talked about was sin, recalled one of his students. He's a fine man, insisted his landlord. A classmate at Brigham Young University, where McCoy was a senior, called him an organised crime freak who wanted to make his dent on the world by busting crime syndicates. His mother was mystified, old Myrtle. He's been very devoted to his church. She was like, this is just not him. He's, he's not a hijacker. She said, he's not a murderer. And I imagine someone went, no, no, no one said not, he was no, a murderer. No Should we be looking in his backyard? Or? <laughs> nobody died, Myrtle. What the fuck? <laughs> You're making it worse. He's just there like, mom. <laughs> I tell you what, he'd never do murder someone. <laughs> my boy. He's not a drug importer. <laughs> he doesn't evade tax. Oh, my God, I've said too much. <laughs> he certainly never fixed the lottery. <laughs> <laughs> the FBI interviewed McCoy and he denied any involvement or knowledge of the hijacking. He said he was out with his wife for dinner at the time. Karen. He was out, was out with Karen. And he was not detained. But they continued to investigate McCoy. The FBI lab was working on two key pieces of evidence. Firstly, the handwriting expert was comparing the note left on the plane with McCoy's mm. writing on military service records. And secondly, fingerprint specialists were seeing if they could match the print found on the in-flight magazine with one taken from McCoy during his military service. Oh, dear. Both turned out to be matches. <gasps> oh, no. Someone's what? framed him. <laughs> oh, my God. That's unbelievable. This guy is dedicated to the church. He wants to work in law enforcement and he's a war hero. Come on. All he talks about is sin. This can't be him. This can't be him. How dare you can't frame this man? I'm as disgusted as you. I don't think you could. I, nobody could be more disgusted. <laughs> that you do look disgusted. I am green. <laughs> With disgust. <laughs> and envy. And envy. <laughs> I want to hijack a play. <laughs> <laughs> Let me have a go. <laughs> the FBI also found eyewitnesses. After a motorist reported picking up a hitchhiker wearing a jumpsuit at a roadside <laughs> hamburger stand outside of Provo, the FBI took a photo there and got a positive ID from an employee who said she'd sold uh, him a milkshake the night of the hijacking around 11.30pm. Oh, a celebratory milkshake. Yeah. This guy, yeah, yeah, I sold him a milkshake, remember yeah, it. And he paid in cash. He had, like, this suitcase full of money. It's yeah, she said, she actually said, he. I remember him because he said, oh, that's a good That's a good price for a milkshake. <laughs> Dude, you just made half a million dollars. Yeah. Stop being tight. That's how people stay wealthy. Exactly. That's why I'll never No, he was wealthy. saying it was a good price. I think, that, like, to him, he's like, oh, all of a sudden, milkshakes are cheap. Yeah. This is a tiny fraction of the money I have now. <laughs> I've said too much. Oh, no. Ah, uh, yeah, the guy who gave the gave him the lift was quick to call up and dob him in as well. Oh, fuck, he, I hope he flung him some petrol money. <laughs> You're carrying half a mil and you don't offer like 10 bucks. Come on, mate. You're a dog. He gave him five bucks. Okay, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Back then. Back then, that's heaps, actually. That's yeah, quite yeah. generous. It's like as, soon as, as soon as I said 10, I was like, I've gone crazy. <laughs> that's far too much. <laughs> he was a, yeah, he was a, he was a teen and apparently, yeah, couldn't, couldn't wait to dob him in. <laughs> A lot of dobbers in this town. Yeah. Yes. Yes. But he and he was so open about talking about it. This guy. I would feel like I even if you felt like you had to because it was the right thing to do. I feel like I would then 
not be telling anyone that it was me. You go, just don't put my name out there. But he's in articles. Yeah, right. With his name. He's like, yeah, I was wild. Yeah, I just took him for a ride and he told me to take him to his home and yeah. Yeah, this guy who's got a grenade and a gun prepared <laughs> to kill people, obviously. Yeah, yeah I'm happy to be in, uh, in the paper saying that he did this. Absolutely. And did he drop him at his home? I believe so, yes. <laughs> oh, my God. Or at he, least we came near I met his wife, Karen. She was fantastic. Yeah, went in for a cuppa. <laughs> um, but to be fair, if I had dropped somebody home, I'd never be able to find that house again. No. So. <laughs> or, like, recognise them. Nah. How, in the dark. Photographic memories. Eyes on the road, please. Yeah, come on. Why are you staring at your passengers so much? <laughs> Apparently, he also fingered him in court. and uh, Really? And, uh, yeah. Gosh. McCoy was- Was that- Apparently, in while public? he was fingering McCoy, I was just looking at him like, how dare you? Stop yeah. fingering me, please. Please. Come on. I gave you five bucks. I <laughs> <laughs> only wonder if he, if he paid people better. Go, and by the way, this is one of those anonymous lifts, okay? <laughs> how much How much for silence? 10? 20 bucks for a silent ride? 20 and you never finger me. <laughs> yeah. Okay? That's the deal. That's the deal, okay? <laughs> Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. Whether it's your first ever website or your business is expanding, Squarespace makes it easy to create a beautiful website and engage with your audience. Upload video content, organize your video library and showcase your content on beautiful video pages. You can even sell access to your video library by adding a paywall to your content. Cha-ching! <laughs> You can help with written content on your website with Squarespace AI, which I used to write this next sentence, so check this out. Generate instant, personalised results that know and show your brand identity. Explain what your site is about, choose your tone, and enter what you need to get short or long-form text. Squarespace AI, Squarespace AI makes it easier to go live, stand out, and succeed online. Oh, Dave, if only it could also not just write it, but read it too. <laughs> And edit it. <laughs> hey, sell exclusive content on your site by adding a paywall to sell memberships or courses. Or sell files your customers can download like PDFs, music or ebooks. Man, it's starting to sound like I'm obsessed with money. <laughs> <laughs> and you are. So head to squarespace.com slash do go on for a free trial and to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. According to Wrigley, on the 10th, three days after the hijacking, the FBI arrested McCoy at his home. On a charge of air piracy. That sounds so badass. Yeah, air pirate. They also had a search warrant for the house where they found $499,970 wrapped in bank bands in a cardboard box. They also took two electric typewriters, which had imprints of the pre-written notes, a parachute and a harness and a pistol, all as possible (gasps) evidence. Possible. (laughs) They had just- Purely coincidental. I mean, everything else they've already got is pretty good. Now they've got all the physical evidence Whoa. as well. Let's talk about the guy who dobbed him in, his mate. Because without this- he- Yeah, would they have ever known? It feels like it would have been a lot harder without this initial yeah. tip. 
but they, I mean, a lot of other people ID'd him. Like, even the prisoner, they went to that the prisoner's new jail and said- <laughs> And said, hey, is this great, the new guy? <laughs> <laughs> great new pad. Great new pad. While I'm here, is this the guy? <laughs> yeah, that's like, the yeah, weirdo. Yeah, that's the guy. He was so I weird. I remember that freak anywhere. <laughs> so, the friend who dubbed him in was Robert Van Eperen of the Utah State Highway Patrol. Apparently, quite good friends with McCoy. Uh, speaking to the Suffolk News Herald in May of 1972, Van Eperen said, I feel like hell about it. Sick. But I also feel like someday somebody's going to blow the hell out of 95 people. So he's saying, if I didn't do something about it, I would have feel- felt bad if one of these hijackings went wrong. This is all from the Virginia Chronicle. Van Eperen and McCoy were friends. They flew helicopters in the National Guard together. They were recreational skydivers on weekends together. Van Eperen and his wife had visited the McCoys at home three weeks before the hijacking. This is when McCoy outlined to Van Eperen how he'd go about pirating a plane using his own parachute. Great dinner party combo. Oh, my God, just shut up. Don't say anything. This is the the big one. You say if he didn't dob him in, but if he just kept his mouth shut, yeah. no one would have suspected him. No. And he, I would say he would have gotten away with it if he just didn't talk about it so much. Mm. But this is what Van Eperen said. We were professional pilots and skydivers. It's a conversation piece. We talked about a lot of things concerned with law enforcement. I used to call him up in the afternoons just to rap. We talked about flying, our work, and skydiving. You lay down a beat. <laughs> Yo, what's up? <laughs> we talked about- <laughs> that Dave's rapping? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know how my rapping starts. <laughs> Hello, everybody. <laughs> I'm Baby Jeff. <laughs> Is that that's that's one of your favorite famous yeah. raps? Hello, Tiny Baby. Hello, Tiny Baby. There we go. Mm. Uh, <laughs> Van Eperen goes on. We talked about hijacking, particularly after a guy in Denver parachuted and broke his leg. So they were talking about it a lot. It makes sense. It is sort of their interest. But if you're actually going to do it, yeah, that's right. It's a funny thing to say. Oh, this is what I do if I wanted to get away with a crime like that. But you don't then do it a few weeks later. Yeah. Unless, as he's saying it, he goes, this is actually a really good plan. Yeah, yeah. I will do it. Mm. And I trust this guy. Yeah. He's one of my very good friends. Oh. He's here at my dinner table. There's no way he's fingering me, this guy. No, come on. come on. That's not something a friend would do. Friends don't finger. No. <laughs> he continues on. When the first reports of the hijacking came in, I didn't think it was Richard. I called him that night because I thought he might be interested in it. But, of course, Richard didn't answer the phone. He was busy. Hijacking. Oh. <laughs> no, he was out for dinner with Karen. Oh, sorry, yes. Uh, his sister-in-law, Denise Burns, answered instead. And so, this is Karen's younger sister. And um, she sounds like a real character. I like how Burns talks about it all in this conversation. It sounds like she probably dropped Richard in it a bit when <laughs> when uh, Van Eperen called. She po- possibly didn't know how serious it was at all. But this is how she recounted it uh, about a month or so later. Van Eperen called me. Richard had talked to me about it, but I had no idea he'd do it. Richard's a very good person. He shouldn't be where he is. I've talked too much already. That's why I'm leaving. I'm going back home to Canton. The US attorney says, it's okay for me to leave, you see. I've pleaded the fifth. That's <laughs> Denise. That sounds like she's- <laughs> That's Denise. That's Denise. <laughs> Denise is panicking. <laughs> Denise oh, is man. flustered. <laughs> well, I'm pleading the fifth. <laughs> anyway, I've got to go play the fifth. Denise, are you pleading the fifth? I've said too much. <laughs> the fifth is not talking yeah. right, Denise. <laughs> I've said too much. I mean, yeah, you told me about it. So he's I also serious. I'm going. I'm going home. So that means he's also told Denise. 
Yeah, he's been chatting around around the home about things, about oh the plan and God. stuff. Oh, my gosh. And does that mean that is Karen in on it too because she's giving him the alibi of, yeah, we were out to dinner. Does she know what was going to happen? Well. There is no Karen. It's <laughs> Oh my it's gosh! McCoy Karen, in a wig. Karen, <laughs> Karen <laughs> came out of the toilet. <laughs> That's a twist. That's a good twist. He doesn't have a wife and kids. He has schizophrenia. Yeah. And those are all in his head. Yeah, he has costumes and wigs. Wow. No, we, yeah, we'll talk a bit bit about Karen soon. But but this is Denise's time to shine. <laughs> well, yeah, Denise is gone. She's off. <laughs> She's moving back to Canton. I played the fifth. Eve and the other one's like, okay. okay. All right. So she's she's dropped him in a bit to Van Eper and he's going, oh, okay. Right. That- I just wanted to talk to him about this because it's amazing that someone's done his plan. I thought it'd be funny to, can you believe it? Mm. And then he's not home and Denise is like, I've got to go. I'm panicking. Yeah. That's sus. <laughs> Van Eperen said if he hadn't pulled the 3 to 11 p.m. shift that night, he probably wouldn't have connected McCoy to it. After the reports came in, he had to stay up on duty to set up roadblocks and was up till about 6 a.m. Oof. Certain clues, plus the conversation with Denise, where she dropped him in it, <laughs> made him voice his suspicions to the FBI. He'd already talked to them by the time he and McCoy reported to the National Guard for flight duty the morning after the hijacking. Whoa. Really? He had already spoken to him. Yeah, so wow. he called him while he was, he was still on, on his it shift. Really yeah. quick. And the next day he's like, Hey buddy, where were you last night? I certainly haven't called the FBI and told him that you did it. Yes. Whoa. Wow. So he, he's still recounting it. And this is this is still pretty fresh. This is still in seventy two, talking to a journalist at a month or so after. I said to myself, You've lost a friend. But he wasn't vengeful when I saw him later. He said What'd you think on me? And I said, I hope I didn't think on you. I hope you didn't do it. I'm not sorry I said anything. If they arrested McCoy and what I told him, it's pretty thin, but it goes beyond friendship. So he's like, he's basically like, I, I only thinked on you if you, but I don't know if he quite gets what he's saying there, right? Because you dobbed him in. Yeah. Either way, whether he did it or not. But he's like, I only dubbed you in if you did it. Yeah. I suppose he's saying there's only consequences for you if you did it. Yeah. If you did it, you're innocent. Sorry about that, but yeah. But he goes on to say how much uh, he respects Richard. He says, I don't think you would ever hear a bad thing about Richard. He's one of the nicest fellows I've known. I've never seen Richard get really mad. I never heard him swear. I've probably lost his friendship, he said somebody, before asking why. What would make cool, nice Richard McCoy go to the extreme of hijacking? Mm-hmm. And that's a great question. Yeah, it doesn't seem doesn't seem in character from what we know mm. so far. Mm. But I think Matt might have more information to share with us. Oh, that's the end of the report. Wow. <laughs> wow. We can speculate if you want us to. <laughs> so, trying to figure out what made this devout Mormon and decorated military vet and Sunday school teacher hijack a plane. Sounds like a big part of it might have been money problems. Mm. According to Wrigley, money was tight. He received $243 a month from the GI Bill, which is Veterans Benefits which wasn't enough to support his wife and kids. The family were in serious financial problems and his marriage began to suffer under the stress of their situation. Karen. His wife, Karen, whose salary was supporting the family, threatened him with divorce, according to Wrigley. Unless you hijack a plane. He's working as well, though, isn't he? He's getting benefits. He's volunteering Yes. for that plane Sun- Sunday school? or Sunday school, I think, is volunteer yeah, and yeah. the other thing. The- right, and he's gone back to study- 
Okay. Oh, like the National Guard thing. Or yeah, something. the National Guard. That's I think is volunteer. Oh, as well. okay. that's baffling. Especially because they're flying helicopters and stuff. You'd think you should be paid for that. Yeah, you're paid properly. Uh, you shouldn't be a volunteer helicopter pilot. You should be paid for that skill set. Yeah. Do we um, have any volunteers? So <laughs> I'll, I'll give it a crack. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, if the, if if what I'm saying is true, but it does. Yeah. <laughs> oh. I mean, I don't know. I don't know why I'm defending. I'm not in that marriage. But it just sort of feels like he's not sitting around all day doing nothing mm. and he's studying to do the law enforcement stuff, you know? There's a lot of conjecture about what was happening in their relationship yeah. as well. Like, who and would know? Who would know other than them? Exactly. So, I I think um, as as much as I respect Wrigley for her piloting and, and uh, journalism, mm-hmm. she wasn't there. She wasn't she sharing wasn't that there. bed. Could have been a lot of reasons why Karen, you know, it could have been ongoing conversations for 10 years and she's like, oh, come on, you know? Mm. I'm at my wits' end. We don't know. I love Karen. <laughs> I'll do anything to keep her. <laughs> Karen! So he convinced Karen to give him 500 bucks in order to carry out the plan. He needed money for flights, guns, and a disguise. A very okay. good disguise. So she's funding it. Oh, no, Karen. Karen, Karen, Karen. Karen. <laughs> Kaz, but, it, Kaz baby. <laughs> but according to Wrigley, she later said that she didn't think he would actually do it. But then she, why'd you give him five hundred bucks? She's like, like oh, he's he's do? well, I'll let him have his fun. I'll let him go to the costume shop, run wild, <laughs> and then I'll divorce him. <laughs> she also bought him a parachute and typed up his list of instructions for the pilots before driving him to Salt Lake International Airport. Oh, my God. Oh, she's wives, really wives helped him. too much. Oh, that's too much, Karen. Too much. She's taken the mental labour of this she's task. Like, in fact, to be honest, to- I don't trust you to do this. I'll do it. Yeah. And that's part, that's part of the problem, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. You're not going to do it properly. I'll have to do it myself. Yeah. Karen, you got to let go a little. <laughs> it was a 50-mile drive to the airport and they argued the entire way. <laughs> she left him at the airport still not believing that he would actually go through with it. But, of course, he did. He flew to Denver, buying his tickets with cash and using the alias James Johnson. He then booked himself onto flight 855. The fact it was a Boeing 727 was an important detail because this was the same aircraft type as as the DB Cooper one. They had the same rear set of stairs built that were able to be lowered while in the air. Cooper had used these to exit his flight and McCoy did the same. Though, unlike Cooper, McCoy was able to lower the stairs himself without help from the crew. So right, okay. maybe it's because he is D.B. Cooper and he, he learnt the first time around and now he knows how. That's what some people say. Whoa. Others say he just he just knew how to do it. That makes you think, though, doesn't it? It does make you think. It does make you makes think. Makes me think. Uh, he was obviously a bit nervy as he left his hijacking envelope in the airport. Luckily, <laughs> of course, it was returned to him by the <laughs> helpful <laughs> staff there. <laughs> Oh, you're going to give that, Stuart, five stars. It was the envelope. There's a bullet and a pin in there. You're like, I guess you'd, you'd have no idea what it is. Like, yeah. maybe it's jewelry Unless or something. Unless it says hijacking instructions on it. <laughs> <laughs> then you might have some, some sort of yeah. clue. He then, and we know the story from here. He went into the toilet, spent mm-hmm. way too long in there, jacking it and uh, putting on some makeup and a wig. So let's move up to when it was time to jump. He struggled with the weight of the cash. I think we know from D.B. Cooper, he really struggled with this part. They mm-hmm. sabotaged him a bit by pulling the zips off D.B. Cooper's bags and he had to improvise a bit and we know that maybe he lost some of that money jumping. And this is two and a half times that amount though, isn't it? It's yeah. even more. It's even more money, but he cleverly asked for bigger denominations, right. $100 bills, meaning it was the same weight. Yeah. Do you know what I'd do? $500,000 bill. I would ask for just, just, um, just transfer me. 
<laughs> Here's my details. Here's my BSB and account number. Yeah, just bring one of those little bippers. Go. Yeah, bring a little just bipper. A little one that they can tap. tap. And then, like, there's no change to the weight. Yeah. I'd hook it up to an offshore account and just oh, get no, them to tap. I'd just give them my ANZ account. Yeah, transfer it. How traceable is that? Oh, I think they're pretty good. These There's days. so many accounts. I can't find your one. My name Have is- you seen your account number? It's like seven digits long. <laughs> so long. How are they going to find How that? How are they going to find that? It'll take you ages. And I've got a super common name. Yeah. So That helps. Whatever. Myrtle Party Perkins. Myrtle Perkins. <laughs> Myrtle Perkins <laughs> is so good. If you ever have another dog, can you call it Myrtle Perkins? Yeah, big time. Because the our our current dog- It's got the wrong surname. That's right. So, the next one has to have Perkins. Mm. Agreed. Myrtle. Oh, imagine. Imagine a little French bulldog named Myrtle. I can and I love Holy it. Holy shit. That'd be cute. I'm picturing it and the picture is good. I'm imagining <laughs> it wearing a little tartan neckerchief. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> a fancy little coup. dog. <laughs> As the people wearing tartan often say. <laughs> 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 well, if you're Mary Queen of Scots. Yes. We oui, wait. Oui. Oh my god. Uh so he's he's unlike Cooper, he's able to get all the money into a bag he brought especially. So there's a bunch of things. People say he he did it he wasn't as clean as DB Cooper, but there were a bunch of things he did better than DB mm. Cooper. So able to lower the stairs himself. He he figured out the money better. He he chose uh hundred dollar bills rather than twenties or whatever DB Cooper used. Mm. But hundreds are more like they're heavier than a twenty. Yes. So, you know. That's, it all works out. It yeah, all works yeah. out. It's pretty heavy. So, he was struggling with the weight, but eventually he made it out, though he didn't nail his landing spot. So, his wife, Karen, wasn't there to pick him up as planned. Time magazine suggests that McCoy might have got away with it if he had not, in effect, used the hijack to hitchhike home. He's basically, he's dropped himself quite close to home as well. So, people thinking about it are like, huh, just in our neighborhood? Oh, actually, I know a guy who talks about hijacking planes. You know what I mean? Like if he did it somewhere else when he was away on a, a work trip or a holiday or something. But he basically landed at home. He was pretty close to home, you know. He's like, yeah, all right, you're, you're right above my house, 139 Erickson <laughs> Street, right now. <laughs> yeah, perhaps Van Eper and his mate wouldn't have been able to put two and two together if it hadn't happened so close to home. Yeah. He certainly wouldn't have put two and two together if he hadn't fully outlined his plan to him in the lead-up. Yeah, as well. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that does seem like the big mistake. Interesting, yeah. yes. Anyway, McCoy's now landed in a paddock many, many kilometres from home and he's on foot. The weight of the cash was so heavy, he had to leave it behind. Oh. He stashed it uh, by the side of a road in a bit of a hidey hole as well as the parachute. When he eventually came past the roadside burger joint, he happily bought that milkshake. He then found the driver who took him into town. That's probably where the 30 bucks that was missing from the yeah. 500 grand. So he, took a li- he took 30 bucks with him <laughs> to get back to that's town. That's why he could only afford a milkshake. <laughs> and that's why he said, that is a good price. I yeah, can afford oh, thank that. Thank God. Yeah, I'll have a milkshake. When, f- when he finally got home late at night, his sister-in-law, Loose Lips Denise, Denise! was there. And she noticed his dirty boots. She's like, huh. So the, and she, this is probably something she maybe me- maybe mentioned in the phone call if that happened later. Why was she there? She's staying at her uh, sister's place. Later at around three a.m., he and Karen drove back to pick up the cash. It's a long day for him. It's, it's a long day. Long long day. I think he's been up for you know full twenty four hours, stressing out the whole time. Yeah. They left the parachute behind though, and I think this is the one that the kid found later. Why did they do that? Yeah, I don't know. I guess they were like, it's one bit of evidence we don't have to get rid of, but you're leaving evidence somewhere. Yeah, on the side of a road. Mm. I guess it's also, it's, I don't know what the DNA stuff was like, but it wasn't, it wasn't 
really happening back then, was it? Mm. The no, but 70s. still, like, it's, they, they would know the parachute and then they would know, oh, he landed in this area. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're just mm. giving them a clue. But he'd given them so many already. That yeah. It, yeah. Yeah, he's like, I've already basically admitted it. I'll just leave it. When they got the cash home, it didn't all fit in the hole in the backyard he'd prepared. <laughs> so, a lot of it ended up in a cardboard box inside their wardrobe. Then exhausted, McCoy went to bed. Fair enough. Yeah. I reckon he had a bit of a That's enough for a big day. He didn't sleep that long, though. Only a few hours before he was up for his volunteer shift at the Utah Air National Guard with his his mate. Amazingly, according to Wrigley, during the shift, he flew one of the helicopters involved in the search for himself. Whoa. Not surprisingly, he didn't find him. Oh, I think- I reckon he'd be over there. (laughs) Like flying away from the burger shop. Isn't that I found that incredible. You get a good price milkshake down there. Yeah. What was that? Nothing. Nothing. Like, I've never been. <laughs> <laughs> when he was taken into custody, rather than calling a lawyer, he called Karen, telling her to take care of everything. Karen, baby. <laughs> <laughs> take care of everything. Yeah. He was winking. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I can't see you winking. Yeah. He was like, well, how do you know I'm winking then? I'm guessing. I've known you a long time. <laughs> You're my soulmate. So basically, he's gone. <laughs> Karen wants a divorce from her soulmate. I don't think I so, don't mate. I think so. Come on. So <laughs> she, he's basically going. Please get rid of all the evidence. Yeah, because we've got a lot of it in our house. But she's sort of taking it as like a passive aggressive thing. She's like, "Yes, I've already got dinner on. <laughs> yeah. Okay, and the washing and the kids. Don't worry, I already look after the kids." When was, Richard? La- when was the last time you lifted a fucking finger okay. out of the house, Richard? Take I've just hijacked a plane. <laughs> I mean, nothing. He's yelling it <laughs> yeah, out in there. Yeah. Well, shop. I'm sorry if I'm working my ass off to steal five hundred grand from the government <laughs> for you. <laughs> Because I love you, Karen. So, he's like, please get rid of the evidence. But it was broad daylight and she knew the house was under surveillance. Like, the FBI were out the front. They weren't being subtle about it. (laughs) So, she's like, what do I do? Okay, here's what you do. Can I guess? You put a coconut on top. What's she got to hide? Is there a parachute? No. She doesn't have a parachute. Uh, there is a spare parachute. Okay, great. Good. So, the parachute, put a coconut on top, smiley face on it. That's your son. Okay. Now, you're carrying that out to the car. I'm taking my son to the park. Okay. You take- big, hmm? What a, a big box of cash. Yes. Toys. That's, a, that's my son's box toys. of toys. <laughs> we play at the park with a box of toys. <laughs> the typewriters that typed out the notes. This, that's my daughter. <laughs> that's my daughter. Typewriters. Jeez. That's my daughter, QWERTY. <laughs> 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 my son parachute Pete and my daughter Courtney. <laughs> I think I might piss my pants. <laughs> you still Karen? <laughs> Karen well, yes. deep, deeply in character here. <laughs> oh, that'll put him off the set. Well, yeah. I know a different scent. It's harder that Karen's got weak bladder. <laughs> She's had two kids, Dave. Uh, parachute Pete and Courtney. <laughs> It felt like pushing out a coconut, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, now I see how we've done 400 episodes. Okay, sorry, how did she actually do it? Or did she do it? Um, I mean, it was similar, but not... Not quite as ingenious. It sounds like in the end, she's like, well, I can't... Like, basically, she couldn't do anything. I'd set fire to it. Oh, yeah, that was... Set fire to the whole house. Yeah. Oh, oh. You got $500,000 now. <laughs> yeah. She basically, it sounds like she put all the most incriminating stuff into a box. <laughs> On his side of the cup. <laughs> <laughs> and, and labelled it. Richard's stuff. Richard's Richard's stuff. Keep money. out. Karen has never seen any of this <laughs> yeah. before. 
And she just basically piled other junk on top of it. Oh, foolproof. So when the FBI came what, uh, on on the um, Death in the West podcast, I think they had a clip of one of the guys who found it talking about it. He's like, yeah, I was just sorting through this junk. And I'm like, holy shit, this is everything I need. <laughs> she was like, hey, well, guys, come in here. They wouldn't be impolite and go through my stuff. <laughs> yeah. It's just what you what you can see immediately. Without She's like, oh my anything. god, I've never seen that box of four hundred ninety nine thousand nine hundred thirty dollars in my entire life. That's crazy. If she's like uh, all the mums I knew from my childhood. She probably said, oh, excuse the mess. <laughs> I'm so, so, and the house would have been immaculate. Absolutely, Absolutely perfect, yeah. Oh, I'm so embarrassed. I didn't know people were coming. It's like, well, you invited us and I, there's not a speck of dust. <laughs> so, on April 9th, a federal complaint was filed charging McCoy with aircraft piracy and interfering with flight crew members. A federal grand jury in Salt Lake City indicted McCoy on April the 14th. Two months later, McCoy, found to have acted alone, was tried in the U.S. District Court and found guilty despite his claim of innocence. So that's that's the key. Karen was not involved. Yeah, found to be acting alone. alone. But also, all the evidence is like piled up in your cupboard, and you're still pleading innocence. Yeah, come on, on, multiple people have eyewitnessed you. You've been fingered. Yeah, just plead brother, take the deal. Yeah, come on. Honestly, yeah, <laughs> he's been fingered by so many people. It's basically being fisted now. Yeah. Five fingerings. That's a fist. That's a fist. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, he could get <laughs> the maximum pen- penalty for these charges was death. What? Oh, d- brother, take the deal. <laughs> so, I'm just trying to rap with him like he's made it. No, totally. And I love that you're trying to get brother going. I think it really works. I think it's very cool from you. I support it. Yeah, it feels comfortable in your mouth. <laughs> Honestly, though, if it's like you, if you're a lawyer, I'm not a lawyer, but surely you'd be saying you could be put- You're to- certainly not one of those big city lawyers. No, I'm not one of your fancy <laughs> talking lawyers. Your Honor. <laughs> if there's a chance you're going to be put to death, you're obviously going to be found guilty, dude. Ah, oh, brother. Dude, Preach. can I say dude? <laughs> Dude's good. Yeah, you can say dude. Uh, luckily for him, he was sentenced to just 45 years in Whoa. prison. <laughs> um, so, they went pretty hard. They didn't go all the way to death. Wow. It sounds like there was another case at another somewhere else in the country that meant the death penalty was a lot less likely and a different precedent had been set. Right, but 45 years, that is a long sentence. For That's a, the rest of his life. For a 29-year-old yeah. in 1972, that is a life sentence. Yeah. Yep. But if he's still alive, he'd be out now. So, mm. whoa. Just saying. He appealed the decision to the US Supreme Court, uh, which denied his petition on October the 9th, 1973. So, yeah, it's basically a life sentence, but it wasn't the death penalty which you'd be like, oh, that's a blessing, I guess. But he didn't see it that way. In an interview with the Journal News that year, he suggested he prefer the death penalty rather than spending his life in jail. Okay. He said it at least should be my choice. If I'm getting life in prison, I should be able to opt in for death penalty, which is wild. Interesting take, yeah. yeah. But it it suggests that he, he would do pretty much anything to not spend his life in prison. And that sentiment would prove insightful as it wasn't long before he tried to break out. This story is not done. <gasps> oh, my God. That's right. Our war hero turned Mormon teacher turned plane hijacker was moving on to another chapter in his life, prison breaker. Oh, my, oh my God. Gosh. Is this some sort of alternative reality where he was also the other guy on the plane who had been <laughs> arrested for breaking out of prison? Holy shit. <laughs> it's, the, it's a loop. And it's ca- <laughs> Oh, my God. The space-time continuum has collapsed <laughs> in on itself. <laughs> Brother. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> oh my god, this is awesome. So he was in a Denver prison, and his method was pretty opportunistic. It's fair to say, a fellow inmate was due for a trip to the courthouse, and McCoy somehow convinced him to let him take his place. Let's let's switch. Can I be you? I'll be you for this one. Okay. And, and will you be me? Or <laughs> yeah, you just stay. I'm gonna go. <laughs> And I don't know how he convinced him, but he did. Obviously, the guards didn't take a lot of notice of who was who because they said, who's who's Gregson? Hey, I'm Gregson. All right, Gregson. All right, Gregson with us. But he's also a master of disguise, as we know. That's yeah. true. Yeah. Absolute master. Yeah, he's 20 the minutes Dana in- Carvey of his yeah, generation. <laughs> 20 minutes in any toilet. He's a turtley turtle. <laughs> I'm turtle heading here in the, to- in the to- toilet. <laughs> <laughs> Once collected, he told the guard, funnily enough, this is modus operandi, he was busting for the toilet. Yeah. So, he went into the toilet. They're like, all right, no worries. You know, he's whistling out the side. A little bit of a rusting in there. What's going on? He found a way to scrape through a small window and he legged it. Okay. (laughs) But he did not get very far before he was tackled to the ground. (laughs) Uh, He was then moved to a much tougher prison in Lewisburg, Pennsylvania. Oh, my God. <laughs> this, this is backfired. Prison's awful. I can't stand it. Well, how about an even worse prison? Yeah. <laughs> Lewisburg is said to have had an awful culture of torture and violence with inmates. And a prison. Jesus. A prison with a bad culture? Be A bad culture for a prison. Whoa. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. Apparently, it-, it was fucked. Um, inmates there during the 60s and 70s included- few big names such as Whitey Bulger, John Gotti, and Jimmy Hoffa. Right, mob guys. Mm. Yeah, a lot of big mob guys. So, yeah, it feels like a- And why do we put all the blame on a toxic culture in a prison on the prisoners? Because it really it trickles down from the top. I don't blame them. That warden yeah. is not doing mm, their like job. That crusty old warden. You know? Yeah. Mm. It needs to loosen up, you know? Have some fun. Paint some colour on the walls. Maybe spike the punch bowl. <laughs> Party down, brother. Okay, I'm taking it back. Uh, I'm open to this. No, okay. I'm, I'm taking it off him. You can have dude, but brother's got to go. Serves up, dude. <laughs> That's better. That's better. Okay. <laughs> Once there at his new prison in Lewisburg, it didn't take him long to start planning another escape. Oh. This time he put a bit more thought into it. <laughs> Rather than I'll leg it out a window. <laughs> yeah. Not bad. He started working with two others for the scheme. Larry L. Bagley, a 36-year-old from Iowa who was serving 20 years, and Melvin D. Walker, 35, from Morley, Missouri, who was serving 55 years. Wow. Uh, Later in the planning, quite late in the planning, they were joined by a third man, Joseph Havel, who was a six-year-old from Philadelphia who was serving 10 years. Uh, These three were all in there for- Bank robbing and, and theft type charges. Uh, I believe Walker had already broken out a few times before. They would meet regularly on Saturdays, ostensibly to hang out in the yard. Apparently, there was like a little cafeteria or something. And Karen would often visit and she'd bring cash for him. And they'd buy ice creams on Saturday mornings and go out into the exercise yard. Wow. I'm picturing like a just like a little convenience store this is or a, a milk bar. Like you said, terrible culture. <laughs> Also, a nightmare of a place. This they're one. meeting for ice cream on Saturday morning <laughs> oh before they even had breakfast. Oh my god! You can't do that. They're okay. having bubble bills. Oh, they're force feeding them ice cream. Karen, who wanted a divorce, is still bankrolling this guy. Yeah, she was like, "I just need you to get a job. <laughs> I can't run the house and 
and be the breadwinner. It's too much for me. And he's like, I got it, toots. And he, so he goes to prison forever. And she's still got to come and bring him his ice cream money. <laughs> but he's like, I don't even pay rent in here, guys. Okay? I'm We're saving us money, babe. <laughs> We're saving a fortune over the next 45 years. So th- this part of the story is told in Death in the West, the podcast. And, uh, yeah, he said um, that they'd be meeting basically with a bag of of ice creams sitting in the yard just to make the guards think, oh, this is just their routine. They sit out there with their bag and they eat ice creams on Saturday mornings, right? But apparently they'd also, as well as eating the ice creams, they'd do exercise. They'd run laps oh, God. to try and get fit for the for the biggest escape. Whilst eating, Whilst eating like ice, ice cream sandwich. That's a terrible oh idea. It, it just sounds like footy in the 80s, you know? I want to throw up Cigarettes just Cigarettes and meat that. pies yeah. at halftime. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, but that does not sound good. Um Another thing they were doing there, so they're basically, in part, just trying to lull the guards into a false sense of security. This is what they do on Saturday mornings. This is their little routine. They sit around Slowly, like, introducing, like, you know, have an ice cream. One of them's got a grappling hook. (laughs) (laughs) It's just their routine. It's their routine. It's fun. It's whatever. Hey, that guy's having their ice cream. That guy's got his grappling hook. That one has my gun. (laughs) (laughs) That's fine. That's fine. They've done the last 10 Saturdays. They're having a nice time. And you know what? Like, it's it's tough being in prison. Give them a little (laughs) bit of- Give them a break. Yeah, it's Saturday, for God's sake. Let's see where they go with it. (laughs) Yeah. It's a bit like, um, you know, it's, it's it's a parenting style I'm reading up on. This is the guard. You know, like, letting your kids do dangerous things safely. Mm. As they figure it mm, out, that's you know? They, that's how they learn. Carefully. They're doing it carefully. Off they go. <laughs> They're not hurting anybody with a grappling hook. Leave them be. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, shenanigans were afoot, basically. While there, it's no coincidence they pick Saturday mornings as well. They're, they also observe the weekly garbage collection routine. Happen each Saturday morning. It would happen like clockwork. So, they're just sussing it out. Well, no, they were just eating ice creams having fun, but they're really just they're focusing on what's happening with this garbage truck. Wow. It's uh, manned by one of the inmates as one of the drivers, and then there's a guard on the other side. In the meantime, McCoy stole dental paste from the prison's dental office, which I think he was he was working in. What did he steal, sorry? Dental paste, which I- hey, Okay, gotcha. Yeah. I don't fully know what that means, but it sounds like it's some sort of a waxy substance. Like mm. a, he got a, a block of it and uh, he worked with Walker to- Apparently, Walker's quite an artist and he was able to make a very realistic mould of a gun, like down to the small details. Right. And then they used that mould to make a plaster of Paris replica pistol. So, they had it- Made a fake gun. They spent a lot of time then perfecting the paint colour to get it looking as realistic as possible. And they, they'd also accumulated a bunch of knives. <laughs> so that's they, also, a- they also had a bag of knives. <laughs> <laughs> they got their bag of ice cream. They got their bag of knives. They're happy boys. They give me no trouble on a Saturday morning. Karen is still regularly visiting. She's bringing cash each time. Karen, you know, 20, 30 bucks at a time or whatever. Are you kidding me? Did she keep any- Was the loot all returned? Did she keep any of it? This deadbeat nah, husband. No, oh, so that's just now her money. Yeah, she's just. this is just from her job. Karen. She, as well as bringing cash, she's also bringing information about- you know, different things they're asking about. Like, what does the what does the outside of the front gate look like? What's the security like? Is there an extra barrier? These sort of things. Right on. She's even taking photos and just bringing that information into them. <laughs> bringing a photo, sliding it across the table. <laughs> There's a map of the prison. And one of the guards finds it. Says, "Sorry, this says uh, escape plot. Uh, is anyone missing <laughs> <Anybody>? this?" 
Ah, <laughs> uh, that's mine, yes. That's mine, thank you. My wife wrote that. It's uh, pictures of my children. <laughs> little escape plot, little QWERTY. <laughs> and don't forget Parachute Pete. <laughs> He's my favourite. <laughs> don't tell the others. <laughs> don't tell QWERTY. <laughs> She's jealous. Uh, then the big day arrived, August the 10th, 1974. So a couple of years after his, his uh, hijacking. Oh, like he's a go-getter. He makes shit happen. What he really does. He's always he doing something, isn't he? Using the fake gun and the knives, the four men commandeered the jail's garbage truck. Bagley was behind the wheel and he was able to drive the truck with enough speed to smash through the main gate and escape to the outside world. Wow. Got through the- Yeah. It's a federal penitentiary. It's, it's medium security, but it's still, you know, pretty secure. And they just smashed their way out of there. They were fired upon from above, but veered onto a dirt road Karen had told them about and were able to get away, being shielded by these uh, corn- Crops that had been oh, fantastic. Mm. According to a New York Times report from the following day, 16 miles from the maximum. Oh, I just said it was medium security. I think it was medium security. Maybe it was maximum at the time. Because if Jimmy Hoffer and that are there. I was going to say, they seem pretty maximum security. I th- it right? seems like it's medium security now. But I mean, this New York Times report was from the, from the time. So yeah. from the New York Times. <laughs> uh, and it says 16 miles from the maximum security prison, they abandoned the truck and commandeered a car containing a man and two women whom they left on the roadside bound but unharmed. And then they disappeared into the central Pennsylvania mountains. Apparently, um, according to Death in the West podcast, the man was quite an old fellow who they stole the car from. And uh, while the others were going around, sort of rummaging around looking for more weapons, McCoy was like, are you all right? Are you on medicine or anything? And he's like, yeah, I have heart medicine. So he gave him his heart medicine before- Leaving, he's it's like, yeah, that's nice. He's a, uh, he's a good man deep down. Yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know what I mean. Oh yeah, brother. <laughs> you know what I mean, brother. <laughs> hey, I won't say it, but you can. <laughs> I make this look good. <laughs> uh, the New York Times article also says the state police, sheriffs, deputies, and agents of the FBI, aided by dogs and helicopters, searched the mountains within a 20-mile radius of the prison at Lewisburg. Uh, The state police said, We feel they are still in the area. There are a lot of hunters' cabins in there. It's a big game area. We'll find them. Wow, they're hunting them now. Yes. So, Havel, Bagley and Walker were all convicted bank robbers, and it seemed that they wanted to go back to their old ways. (laughs) McCoy's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I want to rob a plane. (laughs) Okay? I'm a plane guy, okay? (laughs) You ground robbers go nuts. Yeah. But I do it up in the sky. I look down on you boys. Scum. Uh, According to Death in the West, just three days after their escape, they robbed a bank near Cove City, North Carolina, getting away with 10 grand. This was the first in a series of heists. Wow. So, McCoy can now add bank robber to his impressive CV. Okay. I suppose he's like, I'm never getting out of jail, am I? May as well. On their getaway from this bank heist, they were spotted by a police helicopter and started to be tracked. They were cornered and apparently from the helicopter, all four, they saw all four car doors open and they sort of scattered in different directions. But it sounds like McCoy start was the one to start just shooting at the plane. Okay. It's interesting. Unfortunately for Havel and Bagley, their time on the run was short and they were recaptured. But Walker and McCoy had a bit more luck and they eluded police, at least for a while. Uh, as historicutah.net writes, speculation in the press was that McCoy had hidden in a swamp near his hometown where he'd spent time as a young man. 
It seems they may have lived off money taken in further bank robberies, including one in Marysville, Tennessee, and before long, they found themselves on the FBI's 10 most wanted list. He wanted to work at the FBI. Yeah. So I get, yeah, would he be happy, sort of involved? Yeah, he's kind of, he's got something to do with the FBI. Yeah, this is a way to, to get, like, the big dogs, like, the director to directly notice yeah, you. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. You don't get that icon, you know, when you, you're starting out as a baby agent. This is great networking. Isn't this like, you know, how hackers will hack a big uh, company, just say, yes. employ me, I'll stop this from happening. Yeah, I'm the best. Yeah. So I think it's not a bad idea. Mm. Let's see how it turns out. This report may end with McCoy- Heading the FBI. I mean, it's a great name to head the FBI. Yeah, yeah. Agent McCoy. Commander McCoy. Director McCoy. Director McCoy. President McCoy? (laughs) Is there a reason? That name really rung a bell when he said it. I was like, McCoy, like the president. Yeah, like the current president of America. Right? Is that right? Am I remembering that right? Yeah, they changed the thing and you could have like multiple. It's not just two terms anymore. Yeah, they went 45 years in prison or 45 years as president. Yeah. And he went, I'll take the president. I'll take the president. Good call. So, the two remaining fugitives found their way to Virginia Beach in Virginia. They're just going all around America. That's a long way away, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, that's right up in the northeast. I mean, they were from- they escaped Pennsylvania, so- Right, but didn't they get down to Tennessee for a bit? Oh, yeah, that's right. So, they they are- Down south and then they're up northeast. Bloody hell. A a beautiful road trip. Getting some miles. Mm. Uh, And they now have a lot of cash. They've been robbing banks along the way, apparently. And they're living it up. With their ill-gotten gains. Decking out the house they're renting with funky 70s artwork, rugs, and vases. <laughs> they're just like, we got cash. Let's throw a little bit of it around. Let's decorate. According to Death in the West, McCoy was even in contact with his family back home, giving his daughter a horse as a present. Hey, there you go, Quirty. Gave her a horse. Gave her a horse. And How a about stable. a hug? <laughs> <laughs> How about a dad? <laughs> yeah, horse dad. <laughs> I bought you a new dad. It's a horse. (laughs) Do your homework. (laughs) I love you. Not a horse dad. Nah, they stink. Dads. Dads. (laughs) Walker and McCoy had worked up a system just to- They were still being- I mean, they weren't being as vigilant as maybe they had been. They're starting to go out buying- Stuff They're throwing their money around a little bit more. They worked up a system trying to stay vigilant against anyone tracking them. Whenever they went out on their return home, one would get out at the end of the street in jogging gear while the other remained in the car. And they'd sort of just pretend to be jogging along the footpath or the sidewalk and they'd jog up to the house, basically making sure the coast was clear while the one in the car would do a few blocks and um, just make sure nothing sus was going on. So, this was their system. They'd take it in turns who was in the car and who was right. jogging. On this occasion, November the 9th, 1974, McCoy was the one on foot. He jogged up to the house. Apparently, he was pretty knackered. They were they were planning on moving on, like, soon after this. He And they, there was maybe even an argument, like, can, can't you be the jogger this time? I don't want to be the jogger. But anyway, Mc, McCoy, it was his turn. So, he jogs up to the house only to find three FBI agents with their guns drawn. And they are very impressed with him. And want to offer him a job as the director of the FBI. (laughs) Just sign here. (laughs) They were on the trail thanks to another tip-off. Seems like it's from an unknown source. The horse. Some some have suggested it's Karen, but that seems ridiculous. She's been helping him out so much. Why would she? She's had enough. (laughs) Where's my horse, she says. 
Or it could be like the people that have sold them like thousands of dollars of rugs and Ming vases <laughs> yeah. or whatever they were and pimping the fact that out their rental with. They're still like sort of being connected to their old life. So if, if they were, and you'd assume the FBI would be watching Karen and the family. Yeah. yeah. And, and Where's Karen this horse Pete. from? See the oh, horse okay. get delivered. Yeah. yeah. They'd probably be able to track it back. So the FBI agents, Nick O'Hara, Kevin McPartland, and Gerald Houlihan had staked out the house for a few days before making their move. When Walker and McCoy headed out, they broke in and waited for their return. It's so funny they watch them leave and go, we'll get them when they get back. Yeah. We could get them. I don't know. Like, what if they just left for good then? <laughs> uh, when McCoy entered the house, the agents called for him to surrender, but he instead drew his gun and fired a shot. Wow. The agents returned fire, wounding McCoy. <gasps> Walker heard the shots and sped away, but was caught and arrested soon after a, a car chase. Richard Floyd McCoy Jr. died from the gunshot wound. He was 31 years old. Wow, he went down in a blaze of fire. As you know, Dave, especially back researching D.B. Cooper, there's so many conspiracy theories. There's a whole subculture that are obsessed with it. People, there are theories that, like wild theories, that Karen uh, worked with the FBI to kill her husband and- like any sort of theory you could think of wow. is Someone's out there. Someone's put it There's out there. theories that uh, he, he never shot first. You know, they, they killed him and then- Oh, who shot first? There you go. Yeah. He is one of the main ones that comes up still when people talk about D.B. Cooper. There's so many. I think apparently there's been hundreds of people who have admitted to being D.B. Cooper. Like on their deathbed wow. and stuff. Yeah. yeah. And the FBI look into it and they're like, that isn't possible. You weren't born yet. Yeah. <laughs> Which um, is interesting because- I am deep. <laughs> <laughs> Finally. Yeah. That feels good. Bit yeah. of closure. Yeah. Nice way to finish the episode. Oh, it's very cathartic. I thought I'd, I'd talk a little bit. There's this book called D.B. Cooper, The Real McCoy, which was written in the early 90s That's by an great. ex-FBI agent. And it's all about how McCoy is Cooper, obviously. Oh, it, sounds like, it sounds like they've got the title and worked back, and I love it. Mm. I, I salute that. Me too. The, probably the main thing that makes people think it could be him is that he looks quite a lot like the D.B. Cooper sketch. Oh, okay. Uh, let's see. I should have had this ready. Matt will bring up an image. I'm sure we'll be posting an image on our social media this week. You can follow mm. us at DoGoOnPod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Uh, so, there's the D.B. Cooper one. And there's Richard Oh, wow. McCoy. Yeah, that does oh, yeah. seem- If you put, put a pair of sunglasses on this guy- Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. So that's, I think that's one of the big things. One of the, I mean, there's a bunch of people on either side of this. It feels like everyone supports one guy. No, it can't be him because it's my guy, you know? But also, yeah. how is that guy only like 30? Yeah, that's wild, right? He was 29 there. But, um, wow. And that's the other thing. DB Cooper was thought to be like in his 40s or 50s. So I thought he was yeah. older, much older than that, but maybe he's. So just- people who say that are like, well, that doesn't make sense at all. Mm. Were, and it, and DB Cooper's slightly taller, all these sort of things as well. Um, so, some people like it was definitely him because he looks like him, but also his MO was almost identical. Yeah. But others will say, no, that's because he was a copycat. He studied it. Yes. And he, but that doesn't mean he's the same guy. Mm-hmm. Very famous at the time. So, people, a lot of people knew about it. Yeah. Uh, here's a little bit of an article from Crime Library that breaks down a little bit of the real McCoy, D.B. Cooper argument by ex-FBI agent Russell Kalame. 
His theory was based on the similar methods of the hijackings, as well as the skinny black tie with a mother of pearl clasp that Cooper left on the plane. Mm. If you recall that, that was like the only th- bit of evidence they really had, the physical bit of evidence. The tie apparently was like those worn by McCoy and other male Brigham Young students, and McCoy owned a mother of pearl clasp identical to the one left behind by Cooper. There's suggestions that his in-laws saw the tie and like, oh, you got you got Richard's tie. <laughs> like, that's- D.B. Cooper's tie, you know? Oh. Oh. But another thing that's come out in the last year, Richard McCoy's two kids have come out since Karen died a couple of years ago and said, we can finally say our dad was D.B. Cooper. But they were so young at the time. They were like four and six or something. Okay. So, but they're like, it was, they've come out in this weird YouTube video saying that- Did you watch the video? I was just wondering how believable, you know, if you're like, are you just loving the limelight here or- Oh, no, I mean, I've, I've heard the audio of it. It sounds like it could be true, but it also sounds like it's very similar to the arguments made by Claim in his book. Uh, gotcha. Right, yeah. So, yeah. maybe they've- Yeah. It's just sort of Read the book seeped and in or yeah. something. Yeah, the book feels a bit like confirmation bias. Yeah. In a lot of ways. He had the same kind of tie. <laughs> Case yeah. closed. So, did and like everybody on, else at that school. On Death at the West, they're also like, I mean- it's, it can't even be guaranteed that that was DB Cooper's tie, and if it was, yeah. did he, you know, did he just buy it from a an op shop that day as part of a disguise, or like, there's no, yeah. Um, also, DB Cooper was thought to be a heavy drinker and smoker because on the flight he was doing those things, whereas McCoy's a teetotaler, non-smoker. Yeah, but and then others will say, yeah, DB Cooper could have been putting it on to put people off the scent, you know? Right, but he didn't do that the second time. It's also thought that. He couldn't have possibly been there when D.B. Cooper was because he was meant to be somewhere else. But the kids say, no, no, he that's not true where they thought he was. He was actually, he, he could have been there. He was. And there's a call. There's all these little bits and pieces. Mm. Like there's a collect call to McCoy's house from Vegas when they thought maybe that's when D.B. Cooper would have been laundering his money at the casino. Okay. It's all very complex, but people have spent a lot of time on it. But it all feels like it. To me, it feels maybe unlikely. But I have no fucking idea, of course, mm. at the same time. He, he's a guy who loves talking about his own hijacking, right? Why would he never have come clean himself about the D.B. Cooper one? Yeah, it's interesting to say, he said to his mate, if I ever did a hijacking, I'd do this. It's like, well, didn't you just do one two months yeah, ago? Yeah. yeah, exactly. He was asked one time, point blank, if he did it, and he said, I don't want to talk to you about it. That's not a yes or a no. That's not a yes or a no. Yes, and also, wasn't he, his marriage was having trouble because he didn't have any money or whatever, but he was pretty- Well, the theory is that he lost all that money. D.B. Cooper lost all that money. Yeah. Apart from a small amount that he- Remember, he tried to give money to the staff on the plane. They wouldn't accept it, so he just shoved that in his pockets. So, the theory is that he- all the money he landed with was the stuff in his pockets. He lost all the bags of it. Mm. So, he had, a, he had a few grand and apparently around that time, McCoy bought a few things. So, that was that little bit of money he had, but then he ran out and he needed another big mm. job. How interesting. It's all very clumsy, and in, yeah. but it's all fascinating as well, yeah, I think. Yeah, it is. So, yeah, there's people who fully believe it. Wrigley, on the other hand, says, personally, I think it's unlikely. His hijack was not as well executed, and I suspect it is more likely to have been a copycat. But his story is nevertheless fascinating. Even for what we know he definitely did do, that is fascinating. Isn't yeah. it? It's wild that it, he has fallen into the shadow of D.B. Cooper. I guess he doesn't have the mystery of D.B. Cooper. Mm. But what he did is quite a wild story in itself, and it's basically been forgotten. Yeah, absolutely. 
I've never heard of that, but that was an incredible story. I've got to ask, did Karen ever get in trouble for aiding and abetting her husband? She sued the authors of that book. Right. That said her husband was D.B. Cooper because in it it said some pretty messed up things about her and she um, sued over that. But in in the process of that case, she had to admit that she was involved. So she admitted she was involved, didn't get in trouble for it, but it's on the record that she was involved. Um, But, yeah, that book was still allowed to be published. There was settlements made. I think she was paid out because there were accusations in that book that she helped the FBI kill her husband and stuff like that. Some of those pretty messed up uh, theories are in there. And, um, yeah, the other thing was that the judge said, he's like, how could anything in this book be worse than you admitting to being involved in this hijacking? But she must have been like, what about the thing saying that I killed my husband? You Mm. know, I think that's worse. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, so- the, the other thing that came out of that was that the mo- a movie deal couldn't be sold. The rights to the book couldn't be sold for a movie deal unless it excluded some of those real crook things about her. Right. But anyway, she lived a pretty long life. She only died in, I think, 2020. Right, and never, wow. but never had to go to jail for any of the, the aiding and abetting or anything yeah, like that. Yeah, exactly. There you yeah. go. Karen. Well, how about Denise? Was she just panicking for the rest of her life? <laughs> she panicked all the way <laughs> yeah. to the grave. Poor Denise. <laughs> I'll play the fifth. <laughs> Just asking what coffee you'd like. Okay. (laughs) I played the fifth option. (laughs) Almond milk, oh damn. (laughs) I'll take it, but nah. I'll it, but I'll take it. (laughs) That was a great report. Fantastic story. Well told. Loved it. Well, that brings us to everyone's favourite section of the show where we thank and love Mm -hmm. out loud some of our (laughs) fantastic supporters. And if you want to be one of these supporters, you can go to patreon.com slash pod. Uh, these are the people that keep the show running. They keep the lights on and the record button red. Uh, the first thing we like to do is thank a few people. There's a bunch of different rewards you can get uh, on different levels. Bonus episodes, uh, voting of topics. You get to uh, be in the nicest corner of the internet on our Facebook group. All these sorts of things. But the first thing we like to do is the Sydney Scheinberg level supporters or above get to give us a fact quote or question in a section that we call Fact, Quote, or Question, that has a jingle that goes something like this. Fact, Quote, or Question. He always remembers the ding. (laughs) She always remembers the jing. And the vibrato. And the vibra. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So the way this one works is our great supporters on the Sydney Schoenberg level give us a Fact, Quote, Question, Brag, Suggestion, anything they like. They also get to give themselves a title. I don't read them out till I read them out, and that's just me excusing myself for poor pronunciation. The first one comes from Kate Hopner, uh, who's given herself the title of Assistant Director of Panicking. Oh. It's good to have an assistant for you, Jess. Yeah, love that. God, I was doing too much. <laughs> it's good to be able plate. to delegate a bit. And Kate's asking a question writing, I just learnt that Thank God You're Here is making a return. Yeah. I remember you guys reminiscing about it some time ago and wondered if any of you would entertain the idea of being a guest. I cringe to think of who they might bring out of the woodwork to do it, but I hope they bring in some new talent, especially from the stupid old verse. Matt could put those improv classes to use. (laughs) I'd do it. I mean, I don't know if this is surprising, but yes, I would do a big- Network show. <laughs> Network comedy show. Yeah. Um, Bravely, I, he mm, would do I it. I, really, it. I will be the new host of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. 
Very much like that you're asking that, like, I have a saying it, Kate. Um, (laughs) Yeah. But I would- Cringe to think who they're going to bring out. Well, Sonia Picola's hosting it. Is she? Oh, sick. That's been announced. Um, That's not a a bit of goss that I have that I shouldn't be announcing. And did you have to kill Shane Gould for that? Not Shane Gould. Shane Bourne. Shane Bourne. How dare you. Uh, yes. Because there was a mix-up. Gould went first, sadly. <laughs> yeah, very upsetting. Oh, would I do it? I'm a bit busy. <laughs> um, yeah, of course, but there's, they're not knocking out on our door, Kate. I'm so sorry. Really? They didn't knock on your door? Because I've already knocked them back. It was a no from me. <laughs> I, I wouldn't. I would like to think there'd be people from our, our circles who'll be involved, though. Definitely. Jess is nodding. I don't know if she's allowed no, to I'm say. No, I'm not. I, I haven't said or- Intimated anything. That's very exciting. Cast or or guest? Uh, both. Sick. And uh, a lot of people in our universe are working behind the scenes as well. Oh, that's so great. It's really good. I obviously knocked them back. Yeah. Uh, they asked me to work behind the scenes in front of the scenes. I said, no, no, no. <laughs> I'm doing a podcast. I'm, I'm busy one day a week. Thanks very much. <laughs> Um, no, I'm I'm super excited to watch that. Loved that show. I did love that show too. I have the box set and DVD. I keep, oh, I keep awesome. meaning to watch it. My favourites were always Peter Rosethorne, uh, Angus Sampson, Josh Lawson. Like the the actors were always pretty good at it. Mm. Angus Sampson was a Angus lot Sam of fun. Was so good. Yeah. Big big fan. Yeah. Thank you, Kate. Next one comes from Ryan Butterfield. Okay, senior chief submariner that breathes recycled air for months at a time. And Ryan's giving us a follow to a bet. Okay. I think this is the first follow to a bet we've had. Wow, I don't know what that is. I don't either. (laughs) Let's find out together. Hmm. So, Ryan writes, good day, Matt, Jess and Dave. Good day. In that order. He didn't say that, but I did. Just a quick follow up to my last post. Wait, I forgot sometimes your guys' memory isn't the best. Thank you. So, a quick recap, mostly for Jess. Thank you so much. This is amazing, Ryan, how much you're- You get us. You get us. If you guys come to tour the US, my cousin will be my ticket to the show. Oh, that's right. Oh, yes. If I buy his plane ticket to the location. Uh, You said New York City was a more likely spot, and that works too. My cousin is coming from Washington State. Also, I miswrote last time that I would buy his plane ticket- the actual bet was his ticket. Okay, that makes more sense. We thought it was a it was a bad deal for one of you. Yeah. One buys a plane ticket, the other buys a show ticket. Our show tickets will be very expensive though. Yes. Thousands. <laughs> yeah. It's probably yeah, it's probably cheaper to just fly somewhere. Yeah. Just have a nice yeah, holiday. See it in Melbourne. <laughs> the uh yeah, to cover our visa lawyer, we are gonna have to charge an amount that maybe no one will come. Yeah. <laughs> Which we're means we're going to have to charge more because less people are going to come. Yeah. It keeps us this horrible cycle. Or something yeah. we're in seven figures. So now yeah. we just need one person to buy a $100,000 ticket. <laughs> I reckon, yeah, I reckon buy the tickets while they're uncomfortably expensive because if you don't, it's only going to get going more yeah. expensive. That's right. <laughs> the, the bomb. As the demand drops, the price rises. <laughs> I would be looking at your day to day life and thinking, where can I make adjustments to save some cash? Mm. <laughs> Do you need a coffee, you know, stuff like that? Do you need avocado toast? Do you need a new car? Do you need nappies or diapers, as you call them? Probably not. So put them back (laughs) and come see our show. (laughs) Buy a lot of merch as well, please. (laughs) Use it as a nappy. Yeah. Oh, hang on. So he's saying it wasn't his ticket 
or his plane ticket. It was his transportation ticket. Right. He didn't specify what kind. So, oh, his question it, yeah. is, what transportation should he pick? And what form of transportation would you want to see or would you want to use across the USA? Hovercraft for me. Oh, you like to hover? Yeah. Are they the ones that are like amphibious? Are they those ones that sort of, they're a boat and then they're a land thing? Are they called hovercrafts? Hovercraft. Hovercraft, sorry. You were, you've been on French lessons so long you can't. Sorry, that sorry. vowel sound was slightly different. <laughs> I'm hovering. Um, <laughs> I'm thinking that I would probably choose a Razor scooter, just really take in all the states yeah, as, yeah. I, as I cross from one side to the other. You can pack it down easily. Yeah, exactly. I'd be going one of those fully kitted out um, like tour buses. Oh, yeah. With like bed, like I'd have Pool a bedroom and oh, somebody drives awesome. for me. Yeah. And I could just like Dolly's one. Have you seen Dolly's one? No. So good. Yeah, I'd do that. I'd have a driver, but I could sit in the lounge and look out the window or I could go, you know, have a snooze. Love that. I get a bit, uh, my, I, don't, I don't like flying, so I'll get on a bus. Mm. That'd be nice. I think it was, uh, I saw Dolly Parton's bus on, um, what is, uh, Brian Johnson had a talk show, like an interview show, and he did an episode with her. Great app. Am I thinking Brian Johnson, the right Brian Johnson? Here? ACDC? From ACDC. Yeah. Had a talk show. Okay. Wouldn't have put him on my list of people to host a talk show. There you go. Or was Dolly Parton interviewing him? <laughs> it's one way or the other. I think it was Brian Johnson. That's great. Good on him. Yeah. Um, and- Welcome! <laughs> uh, so, I think uh, we should get you to get your cousin a, I'd say, based on this episode, just first class plane tickets. First class, yeah, to yeah. make it worth worthwhile. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much, Ryan. Oh, no, I mean, you're a submariner. Just get him a ticket on in your submarine. Yeah, sub. <laughs> that way you could, if to go coast to coast, you just sort of go under, wouldn't you? Just so you go get, under yeah, America. Yeah, way you easier go, than going around. You go deep yeah. enough. Yeah. <laughs> I don't fully get, like, it, that that isn't possible. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, sure, how crazy. Mm. <laughs> I don't get it. Uh, the next one comes from Harrison and Rebecca Ellis. Okay. Sargento Whisper and Bandit Chips, names inspired by the horse name it generates. (laughs) It's catching on, Jess. And they ask a question writing, when you all finally get to come to America, what would be a fast food chain that you would be most excited to try? For example- Chipotle. Oh, okay. I've never had Chipotle. I think you'd like Chipotle. I just thought that was a sauce from- um, Nah, babe. From uh, that place we get burritos from. Yeah, Sombreros. Sombreros. Oh, love Chipotle. Uh, they've given some examples, Culver's, In-N-Out Burger, Chick-fil-A, etc. As Wisconsinites, we're partial to Culver's. I don't think I've heard I've of Culver's. I've not heard of Culver's. I've heard of the other two. Chick-fil-A is always uh, mentioned a lot. Yeah, it's in White Castle. Lyrics, right? Oh, you know how to White Castle. White Castle, that's interesting. That's uh, mentioned in Bill Bryson's book. Uh, <sighs> oh, wow. About American English. He talks you. about the origin of- of uh, they were pre McDonald's and p- people rave about um, In and Out Burger as well. Yes. Oh yeah, I've had In and Out Burger in, in LA. Yeah, that, that was good. I don't know. Is that I, that one? They yeah. do fast food very well over there. Right. I don't. Yeah, I don't know anything about any of these. I only know about the ones that come here. Subway. Yeah, that's right. Subway. McDonald's, yes. McDonald's. Yep. Taco Hungry Bell. Hungry Jacks. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Red Rooster. <laughs> well, this is what Harrison says. Mm-hmm. I would want to get Red Rooster and try the Red's Hot Fried Chicken if I came to Australia. 
And Rebecca says, I'd love to try pie face because I've had a few, so few kinds of pie in my life. And that seems like a problem that needs to be fixed. Oh, yeah. You could try out some pie face and make sure you're near a toilet. Oh, <laughs> the good people at pie face. That is I love slander. Pie. I'm yeah. a big fan. I like pie especially face. Especially the, I don't know if they do it anymore because they're basically now in, in uh, petrol stations. Yeah. But they used to have their, their own uh, stores. In the city, there was like six of them open 24-7. I love that you can get what was called a stack, which was a pie in a box with your mash, with your gravy, with your peas. Absolutely could not get enough. 24-hour pies are so great. And they did dessert pies as well. So, I, I would often get the uh, veggie curry, uh, korma curry pie mm, good stuff. and the apple and custard pie for dessert. Oh, I like the- Two-course meal right there. I like the chocolate pie for dessert. Love that. You know, the the- most memorable time I ate pie face was in New York City. I think it was the they tried to open over there uh, in Times Square. Was it? It was. It wasn't in Times Square, but it was like two doors down from the Ed Sullivan Theater where I saw Letterman. So I went had a, a pie face, and I went in there. I was confused. I'm like, I thought these were <laughs> Australian, and he goes. They are. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure that Letterman went to one on, on the show. Oh, when they well, launched, it would have been that one, probably. He went down and had a, uh, brought a pie back, had that on the show. Wow. Uh, I'm looking at top 50 fast food chains in America. I've never heard of this, but Jason's Deli sounds interesting. You can find Muffalettas. Not sure what that is. Loaded baked potatoes. Fantastic. Caprizi paninis and the endless garden fresh salad bar at any of the 273 Jason's delis across the country. Wow. Jason's delis. Not fast food, but I'd want to go to an olive garden. Oh. Is that not fast? What's that? That's that's a restaurant. Ah. But it's a chain restaurant. Restaurant like McDonald's is a restaurant? Mm, I think slightly better than McDonald's. What kind of food? Olives. Yes. Yep. And salads, I guess. Yeah. Is it all olive salads? Yep. Wow. Sounds delicious. <laughs> <laughs> Calamata? <laughs> no. Oh. Uh, but thank- interesting. Great question. Thank you, Harrison and Rebecca. And finally, this one's from Ola McGrath. Okay. Brigadier General of being a fantastic friend. Brackets. Not to brag. Close brackets. And Ola is offering a fact, writing, Hi, gang. My fact is that it's a pretty cool guy's birthday. Well, actually, it was a week ago, but I definitely didn't think to do this too late, and this is actually an intentional choice to make your birthday last longer. Happy birthday, Robert. I hope you enjoy this more than the socks I'd normally get you, and this makes up for the fact we weren't able to go for pints for either of our birthdays this year. Thanks for getting me into Do Go On. I guess you've got good taste in podcasts. Also, shout out to Gronier, uh, who will probably be the one to listen to this first and tell Robert about it. Oh. <laughs> oh, I love it. This, this uh, is a real relay system we got going love on Love this. Orla McGrath. One of, the, one of the best names in the biz, I reckon, Orla yeah, McGrath. Yeah, 100%. I'd never heard of Orlas until recently. Mm-hmm. There's an Orla who plays for the Brisbane Lions. Oh, She's really? Irish as well. Yep, that makes sense. Orla O'Dwyer. She's a gun. Oh, yeah. Yep. Uh, all of a sudden, it's become- it's got to be one of my favourite names. I met an Orla doing the audience warm-up last night. Did you? I, kidding. No, no word of a lie, Orla McGrath, I thought of you because you were also the first Orla I knew of. That's nice. And that, was, that was honestly how I remembered uh, their name. It's the name sweep in the nation. Orla. Taken over. So a bit, it's a great name. As a big, big happy birthday. To Robert. Good on you, Robert. Thanks for, for listening and hope you have a great bloody birthday. Thanks for getting Orla involved as well. Yeah, spreading the good word. Anyone well, who- if it wasn't for you, Dave and I might not have heard of the name Orla. Exactly. And I can't, I can't remember a pre-Orla world You now. guys haven't watched Dairy Girls? 
I have. There's an Aller in that. One of the main ones? Yes. Okay, well. I, but I think that I knew Aller McGrath first. I think I, I think, knew Aller McGrath absolutely. first as well. Terry Gross, fantastic show based on, of course, Aller McGrath's life. That's right. In the 90s. It's an issue. Thank you so much to Aller Harrison, Rebecca, Ryan and Kate. Uh, the next thing we like to do is uh, thank a few of our other great supporters. Just normally with a bit of a game here. Yeah, that's true. I do. And I can't think of a game for this one. I mean, when, in, when in doubt. Oh, horse we name generator. turn to the good people <laughs> at horse name generator. Fake name on the plane. Yes. What are they checking in at? At the counter. <laughs> Great. The kind of name, that, and this is the name that would be broadcast across the PA system of the airport if you're running late. Yep. Uh, would insert name here, please. Kurt, would uh, chicken nug nug <laughs> bugaboo please come? Chicken nug to nug. gate three. To gate, gate three, the plane is fueled and ready to take off. <laughs> All right, I've already got a good one. Absolutely. All right. Well, if I may kick us off, I'd love to thank from Dublin in Ireland, Connor Kirby McGill, Picasso Adagio. <laughs> <laughs> Paging Picasso Adagio. Good Mr. Adagio. <laughs> First name, Picasso. Picasso. Okay. That's, if that was a real name, that would be the best name I'd ever heard. <laughs> Picasso Adagio. That is yeah. a, a brilliant name. Okay. Jess, can I just double check Connor's surname pronunciation there? You're our Irish language expert. Connor. Kirby. That's probably McGill. McGill, great. So not McGill. Like oh, McGill. Move over, McGill, because you're now Picasso Adagio. <laughs> Fantastic. And uh, can I say to you, Connor, welcome to Plain. <laughs> uh, next up, I'd love to welcome from Greensboro in North Carolina. I think I let a North Carolina slip before without letting everyone know that, a uh, fun fact, that's the place where Venus flytraps are from. Really? Yeah. Fantastic. Anything about mini golf that you know about that area? Uh, maybe invented it or something. Yeah, one of the it? first mini golf offices in the world, possibly the first. Uh, little fact I learned. That's a fact that uh, needs no introduction to Sarah Hamlet. Um, or Hamlet. Well, could be a soft B. Sorry, Hamlet. Hamlet. Max Espresso. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and not Espresso. So like good. how people mispronounce espresso. Yeah. Max Espresso. Like, like how I say espresso. <laughs> Max Espresso. Max Espresso. Not Mass Espresso. I love Max. getting espresso martinis. <laughs> I'm real basic. Uh, next one, please. May I thank from Melbourne, right here in Victoria. Wow. Zayla <laughs> Nolte. Buck Dynamite. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. Buck, that sounds like a Brendan Fraser movie, don't you think? <laughs> Buck he Dynamite. Played, yeah. that, he could play Buck Dynamite. Yeah. That's, uh, that's very close to a recent episode, Jess, that we did of Who Knew It, <laughs> where we had to come up with um, fake names for a stunt double. Mm. And one of them was- Buck Blazely. Buck Blazely. Wow. <laughs> I picked that one. So that, cool. that sounds like a real name. Buck Dynamite. Fuck yeah. Uh, my fake name was it was Gregory Thunderclap. <laughs> <laughs> and I laughed so hard, Dave. I love it. Gregory Thunderclap. If Gregory anyone wants to check that out, that, that's the episode with Jess and Damien Cowell. And, yeah, that's that's all for me, Zalia, hey. Sarah and Connor. Dave, do you want to thank a few? I will pick up where we left off and say thank you so much from Waldron Arizona. Yoda Moon. <laughs> and that is the nickname. Jess was so excited. Sorry. I didn't even get the name out there. Sorry. Yoda Moon, a.k.a. Rachel Hilliard Brown. Yoda Moon. Yoda Moon. I thought so Walter in Arizona was the person. I was like, that's already good. <laughs> Yoda Moon. Uh, it's not even Arizona. It's Waldron, Arkansas. I'm so sorry. I just saw the AR and I just went, I had a punt. 
Waldron, Arkansas. Arkansas. <laughs> okay, I don't know Waldron, about Arkansas. Well, you know that Waldron's from there. Do you want to let me tell you about Waldron? Population three thousand three hundred. Wow, Mayor David Millard. Sorry, Mayor. Mayor. <laughs> Mayor which David Willard, which isn't that far off. Rach, Rachel Hilliard Brown. So makes you think. Maybe they're related. She's somehow related to the mayor. Wow. Thanks so much, Rachel. I would like to thank also from now, this person is from an unknown location. Okay. I can only presume it's deep, deep within the fortress of the moles or Iceland. This is Matthew Tails. A.K.A. Charlie Blackjack. Charlie Blackjack. Charlie Blackjack. Got a real vibe of just like looking around the room. Charlie Uh, Blackjack. Matthew Tails, possibly Matthew Tallis. I'm going to give you that pronunciation just in case. I would now like to thank from Olath in Kansas. I'm just double-checking that because I'm worried I'm saying these wrong. From Olath in in Kansas, <laughs> the name that I'm shouting out to is Meat. <laughs> <laughs> Meat, that's all the full name we've got. Meat from Olath, Kansas, uh-huh. a.k.a. <laughs> Bugsy Gentleman. <laughs> oh, yeah. That is very good. With the Meet room? Bugsy Gentleman. With the Bugsy Gentleman, please stand up. Please make themselves known to stuff. Bugsy Gentleman. <laughs> Fantastic. That's that's my three. Jess, would right. you like to read some, some names out here? Yes, here we go. Uh, I would love to thank from Mitchum in Great Britain, Harry Clark. Harry Clark. Okay. Harry, Harry Clark. Clark. We could use that name up a little bit. I think- they could go by the name of. Just don't, don't pressure me. Oh, sorry, sorry. The horse name generator. It's not just a click in and refresh type thing. It, it well, works it's on its not own refreshing. Clock. It works on its own time. This thing. But I've got one. Rudolph Bamboo. Oh <laughs> my goodness. Rudolph Bamboo. That's pretty good. We should um, send Qwerty a message saying that if her horse is still alive, we got some name options for it. Absolutely, we could yeah. name that horse. So, thank you to uh, Harry. I would also love to thank from Croydon in Victoria, Mick. 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 Mike. Uh, I was about to think that I had to do something, but I don't. You don't. I've got it. <laughs> I'm just trying to go between tabs. Merlin Legend. Oh, my God. You have not had a miss. <laughs> Merlin Legend is fantastic. Do you want me to thank the last person, Bob, yeah, so I've you got, can work I've, on I that? I think I've got one. And finally, uh, also from Address Unknown, can only assume from deep within the Fortress of the Moles, they only seem to go by MC, but I'm basing off their email address just in case they wanted a slightly more personalised shout-out. I think their name is Monica. Okay. Well, actually, it's Wombat Bramble. <laughs> <laughs> You finished with the best. <laughs> MC Wombat. Bramble. MC Wombat. Bro. Brother. Sorry. Brother. Brother. <laughs> I would never bro. No, that's more about HG. Ruin HG. HG from Ruin HG loves a bro. <laughs> this is Rugby League, bro. Well, happy Rugby League to everyone listening. Happy Rugby League. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much to MC Mike, Harry, Meat, Matthew, Rachel, <laughs> Zayla, Sarah, and Connor. And the last thing we need to do is welcome a few people into the Triptych Club, which I know Jess explains better than anyone. Thank you. I do. Um, So, the Triptych Club is for people who have supported us on Patreon.com for three consecutive years on the shout-out level or above, um, and we welcome them into this exclusive club. Once you're in, you cannot leave. Um, I like to see it like an airport lounge. Matt sees it as more of like a, a cool bar. 
yeah. type hangout clubhouse yeah, kind like of thing. Yeah, like Frank Sinatra might be hanging out there. Oh, yeah. Red it's, velvet. Yes, it's classy. We've got a bar. We've got snacks. We've got booths. Yeah, we've got booths. We've got- <laughs> <laughs> There's levels. Thanks, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> Just wanted everyone to know. We've got booths. <laughs> booths. Uh, we do have booths, yes, um, and you know, like like fancy. I imagine when I say airport lounge, you know how like some of the airport lounges have like a cool bathroom so you can have a full shower and stuff. It's like that. What life are you living? I see TikToks. Oh, okay. I've never fucking. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I wanted a shower in a lounge. It was nice. Oh my when God. you say that, I always I'm picturing the gate. I forget that the lounge is like I'm like <laughs> no, like a first okay, class. It's a little fancier to me, but yeah, I forget that there's. I'm talking like a first class VIP lounge. Yeah. No, Airport. I'm not. I just see videos. Okay. And and dream. Um, I'm behind the bar, so I have a few um, uh, cocktail specials and <laughs> food. And this week I'm serving grenades. Oh yeah. Well, okay. Is that the 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 food? Is that the the cocktail? It's the- both. Okay, grenades. I've got a grenade in each hand, <laughs> and if you order anything, I will set them off. <laughs> okay, I reckon I won't be ordering much tonight. Good call. The pins have been pulled. <laughs> and put into this envelope. <laughs> <laughs> and Dave, have you booked a band? I always book a band, and you're never going to believe it. I booked a band from Utah this week, Whoa. taking me back to my emo days, The Used. Oh, are in tonight. They're from Utah. From Utah. Do they play jazz? They probably could on request. Okay. Great. Well, as we all, will be requesting. As you know, Utah, obviously, famous for jazz, so. <laughs> exactly. Well, there's just four inductees this week. The way it works is I'm on the door, about to lift the velvet rope so you can get into Jess's private airport section, and I'll read out your name. Dave's up on stage. He's hopping up the crowd, making sure you feel welcome. Uh, with some pretty weak wordplay. Jess is then backing Dave up, trying to make him feel better about his probable failure. Here we go. You're a nightmare. First up, I'd love to welcome in, when you hear your name, enter the club from Geelong West in Victoria, Australia. It's Mahama and Tom. Mahama and Tom, do go on. Yes, that's a nice into easy the club. one. Like, uh, go on. You've rhymed Tom with on there, if you from yeah. Fort Bragg in California, it's Marshall Carr. I don't mean to Fort Bragg, but Marshall Carr, you'll go far. <laughs> <laughs> I did both there. That's pretty good. You are That's warming good. up from Mobile in probably Alabama, maybe, in the United States. It's Phil Hyatt. Will we take the red Phil or the blue Phil? You know what? I'll take the Hyatt Phil. <laughs> <laughs> Phil Hyatt, that is. Yeah, that's And good. finally, from Sheffield in Great Britain, it's- Oh, Jess, I need your help on this one again. M-A-E-N. Maine. M- Maine Gallagher. The Maine Gallagher course is here. Ooh. Wow. Eat up. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much to everyone who's been supporting the show for three years. Can't believe it. You're all legends through and through. Head on in. Grab a grenade. <laughs> enjoy Bert and the used. Wow. Um, I want to- Oh, it's saying- I tried to click on a pronunciation for Maine and it said forbidden. Oh, wow. <laughs> so we'd not have said that name out loud. Forbidden. No, that's how it's pronounced. Oh, <laughs> forbidden. Welcome in Maine, Phil, Marshall, Mahman, Tom. Uh, make yourselves at home, please. Now, Dave or Jess, anything we need to tell people before we go? Just that we love them, that if you want to suggest a topic, you can. There's a link in the show notes and also on our website, which is dogoonpod.com, um, and you can find all info about, you know, live shows and all sorts of fun stuff, and follow us on socials at dogoonpod. Davey boy, boot at home.
And don't forget, this is episode 399. Our big 400th episode, if you're listening this week, is this Saturday night, Melbourne time. Tickets in person are sold out, but you can buy a streaming ticket anywhere in the world to watch live or later. We're at Stupid Old Studios, so you know the crew are going to have a fantastic setup for us. We can't wait to, uh, yes, celebrate because it's uh, the 400th episode, but then also afterwards, the after party, DJ Bot Perkins on the decks. Mm-hmm. Can't wait. So you can get tickets to that. The same website Jess has said, do go on pod.com. But until next week, we'll say thank you so much for listening. Until the 400th, thank you so much and goodbye. Later. Bye. Two terms Yeah, they anymore. went 45 years in prison or 45 years as president. Yeah. And he went, I'll take the president. I'll take the president. Good call. Let's find out. <laughs> Karen's still unhappy though. Yeah. <laughs> Karen, first lady Karen. Cannot please her. First lady, more like first whiner. <laughs> That's whiner. <laughs> Let the record show that he did the uh, the talking thing with his hand. I couldn't think of a way to make it sound like lady. <laughs> what's a what's a thing that sounds like uh, complainer, but it's lady? Complady. Complady. Oh yeah. Edit all that out. <laughs> Let Do me you- have this joke. Little joke there. Not very good work, Jess. First complady. <laughs> Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com <laughs> <laughs> I reckon Jess would let you have it. <laughs> <laughs>